The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder. <laughs> Glad y'all are here with us to enjoy this uh the pre-Christmas Week, weekend. Exactly what I was going to say, the pre-Christmas weekend. And it looks like uh, we're going to have some Christmas crisp weather well, coming you know, up. Well, we made it through the monsoon season. Mm-hmm. My Lord. I mean. We're now we're above, or we're like two inches above for the year, I think now. I don't know, but it affects people. I've had so many people <laughs> come into the garden center and go, there's no way in H that I could live in Seattle. Because it's so rainy and, and, and we, oh. we had it for two weeks. And you're talking about uh-huh. depressing. I oh. mean, no sun, no blue skies, mm. cloudy, rainy, yeah. misty, just... I just loved it. Did you? <laughs> two weeks of it. And then we finally get past, finally get past uh-huh. that, I think. Yeah. And then they're calling for, what, some 10-degree temperatures coming in this coming oh, week? Thursday. I think it's like... Chance of snow flurries on Thursday, and then seven degrees. <laughs> that might be why we've been selling sleds. Have y'all really? Yeah, the you know the plastic uh-huh. sleds and the yeah. disc. I, you know, we'll put them out there on display. A lot of people buy them just for Christmas presents mm-hmm. for their grandkids. Hoping, yeah. But it's one of those things where you don't need it till you need it. Mm-hmm. But if you wait till you need it, you, can't, you can't get, get it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're thinking ahead, I'm telling oh you. Oh my goodness. How long have I had a sled in the garage like year after just, year? Just waiting, wipe the dust off of it and, and get ready to, to go. use it. And then you're like, it's never going to snow. And stick it in the attic all the way to the back. And then it's four feet of snow and you're digging in your attic and you miss the whole thing. Of course. Now, <laughs> and what do we do? I mean, 10 degrees is pretty cold. And, you know, we went, yeah. we've all been through this. We'll go through it. And this is just the beginning of it. But is there anything that we need to be doing? I think it's not. Prayer? Yeah. Well, well, and, and the reason yeah. I asked that, I had a lady come into the garden center uh, day before yesterday, and she's fixing to go out of town for two weeks, okay? And she lives in a high-rise, and she's got these big concrete pots out on her balcony. And in these concrete parts, uh, pots are arbovitas, okay? And she was in going, you know, asking me, do I need to wrap these pots and everything else? And I was like, well, it, A, it never hurts mm-hmm. to wrap a pot because the pot is above ground. It's not insulated. If it gets really cold and stays cold, it can freeze through the pot and harm what's in the, in the container, right? And I was like, well, she said, I don't have any old blankets and i said well whether it's burlap whether it's the frost cloth just use your new heating whether it's bl- towels yeah, <laughs> your new heating blanket i said anything to wrap insulation some people even get insulation yeah. wrap it around the pot and that would give you that added layer of protection now i said it's not really the pots freezing through that's worrying me mm-hmm. it's the you've got arbovitas in there and you're not going to be there to water for two weeks. And we all know that cold wind just dehydrates these evergreens, including arbovitas. Right. So I told her the two things. I said, look, yes, insulate the pots. It can't do anything but help you. It's not going to hurt anything. I said, but you make sure you soak those arbovitas before you go out of town. And I said, if you can get somebody to come in there about a week later while you're still out of town and soak these things again. Mm-hmm. You know, to, so it was me. It was like, I don't want these things to dry out well, more yeah. so than, hey, I'm not going to wrap the pot. That's what I'm thinking. You know, because, Jim, you've said 100,000. Javeda, you mm-hmm. too. 
that the winter is is it can be pretty tough on these evergreens. You know, I always mm-hmm. think of evergreens as being just indestructible. You know, whether it's a pine tree, a, you know, a arborvita or whatever hollies, but they if they're not getting that moisture uh, in that root system, they can suffer. I'm telling you. So that was my biggest mm-hmm. concern for her. Right. Yeah, I think that's good advice. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm not as um, prone to wrapping the pot as I am the top. Yeah, just taking a white sheet and wrapping everything up top, and that just blocks all the wind off. Well, of she was going it. to Jim. She was going to get a sheet, yeah. a bed sheet, a real thin yeah. bed sheet, not plastic, and wrap the top of it for those two weeks she was out of town. But she was seeing the weather forecast, just like we were talking about, and that's what was scaring her to death. And and wrapping the pot basically does the same thing. It it slows the moisture loss. Now, it's going to be nearly as cold inside that pot as it is outside, even with insulation. Right. Um, So it's it's iffy, you know, when you're three or four stories up, and that's a lot of wind. So I I would move them back into the corner if you can. Wrap the top of them, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I think they'll make it. You know, because we're looking at temperatures that are going to dip to to seven or eleven degrees or so, but they should come up close to freezing mm-hmm. most days. And if there's <laughs> any sunlight on them, the pots are going to warm up considerably. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be uh, they'll get up warm enough for them to thaw, and that's the, that's the thing is. Once they're thawed and that soil temperature begins to rise, then some of that moisture is available to the plant. And another good thing, I think, in this case, was these pots were bigger than just typical clay pots. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was a bigger concrete pot. But, you know, what about... Like like on Friday, the high is 17, and Saturday, the high is 24, partly sunny. Well, I mean, we can live with that. I mean, yeah, we go through that. <laughs> yeah, I just. But what about these smaller sh- pots? I mean, you know, like Ooh, for example, well, that's, that's bricks of ice. Well, they, blocks I, of ice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've got a you know a fourteen inch pot on my back patio with a drift rose in it that's been mm-hmm. in there for you know five years, and I didn't wrap it last year. You know, when we had that week of. Yeah. below freezing temperatures for for seven days at it's least that's seven degrees that right i mean I'm wondering but is it really gonna do that well but let's just say it does i mean mm-hmm. do i need to go out there and wrap that that smaller pot that's not going to be as insulated as a bigger mm-hmm. pot to try with, to preserve the, the rose, root system no i'm not terribly <clears throat> concerned about it okay no, good really not um there are some things figs gardenias mm-hmm. uh, those type things i would if you can s- just set them in the garage mm-hmm. uh, overnight or for two or three days and then set them back out because uh, the desiccation along with if you get if that small pot actually does freeze solid it can do severe damage right. to those roots when it begins to thaw up uh, then you can't if the roots are gone, the feeder roots are gone, it can't take in water. So it will start to wilt, and then you'll water it, and uh, and then it gets root rot. So, you know, and then, you know, we have a good spring again in the nursery business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, good thing, um, I, I would say Memphis is a good place for nurserymen, even though it's hard to make things live. Uh, it's a lot of work because it's cold and hot and cold and hot, but it seems like we get to replace things more often than not because of 
the way that it goes up and down. And then that, that gives us the opportunity to recreate landscapes. See, she's trying to find that silver lining yeah, in there's there. there's got to be a way. And hopefully, it's like we have a camellia at work, and it has probably 200 buds on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so beautiful. And if that was out in my yard, the buds are just, I mean, a few yeah. blooms have opened just up, to crack open. just starting to crack open a little bit. And so what do I do with that? You know, I'm just going to bring it in the building. Well, That's, it's going to go in the greenhouse, really. You know, I have uh, three containers, three camellia still in containers that I bought and didn't want to plant yet. And so they've set out until this week and I've moved them into the unheated garage. Yeah. Well, it's actually now a heated garage. Um <laughs> Where I've got my tropicals, and you know they'll they'll be fine. Yeah. But it, my heater only comes on when the temperature at the floor gets to thirty eight degrees. Yeah. So it's not going to generate a lot of mm-hmm. not going to generate any growth. But it's what, just not going to be warm enough. But what if these were in the ground and you couldn't bring them in though? I mean, I know you would mulch them in to protect the root system. Some some of them, the zone eight ones. Yeah. There's you could have some issue if they've been established three or four years. I'm not worried about. Yeah. Them. Okay. I think they'll be fine. But if they were a new plant, then I could see some damage, particularly on Camellia japonicus. Uh, it's seven degrees. Which to me are the prettiest ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For a zone eight plant, 10 is about as low as it mm-hmm. can survive. Um, whereas we get another 10 degrees down to about zero in, in zone seven. So it's, uh, it's iffy. Again, that's something that I would consider uh, throwing a sheet over just mm-hmm. to keep the wind off of it. And the, and the last thing I'll say about this is also moist soil is a better insulator in a pot than dry soil. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, we never think about potentially watering our pots when it's cold. Right. I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, if you keep some moisture in those pots and keep that soil moist, uh, it's going to protect those roots much better than that soil being just dry. It is. It's so difficult when you're selling plants and then you tell them, okay, in the winter before a freeze and it's going to be really cold, you have to water them before and they kind of look at you. You can see they're debating, do I want to water that when it's cold? Yeah. Okay, we'll be right back after these messages. So much more to talk about. And y'all can give us a call at 260-5926. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back. Glad you're with us this morning. Give us a call, 260-5926. That's 260-5926, even though we know y'all are probably just going to let us chat today because it's holiday season Mm. and we're all feeling a little lazy, kind of breaking the rules some. Staying up a little later, sleeping a little later. Not yet, but that day's coming, (laughs) right? five whole minutes later, I'm talking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing uh, I was thinking about last night, guys, when I was making a few notes was, because I was talking to a customer, uh, and he has this huge ivy bed, okay? And he's had some problems with some dieback in there and some fungal problems in there over the years, of course. And... I was asking him, you know, and of course, this, these beds are under these massive oak trees. And that's just, I mean, and I've seen a picture of it. It looks absolutely beautiful, I'm telling you, because it's got the curved beds and it's, it's full of ivy. And we were talking about trying to keep this ivy bed clean of debris, especially this time of year with all the moisture that we get. And I was like, I mean, whatever you have to do, whether you get a blower, whether you get gloves on and start 
getting the leaves out of this ivy bed. Uh, and I don't mind grinding up the leaves and even putting a few back in the bed. What about that invention of those claws? You, you know, put on your hands, you can use those claws to claw in that stuff. It's like of your the big ivy. hands. Yeah, yeah. But, and I've, yeah, but I've, whatever it takes to get those leaves out of these beds. But, you know, it was one of the things where he was showing me a picture, and y'all, this thing was just loaded down with leaves, I'm telling you. And, you know, eventually, you know, yeah, they would break down and, and actually add compost to the soil. But in the short term, before all that, it's going to hold a lot of water in these ivy beds, especially through the winter months. And I was like, you know, you need to get these things cleaned up. And whether it's Pachysandra, whether it's Vinca minor, which Vinca really doesn't care, but especially ivy, something like that. I mean, what do you all think about getting these beds really cleaned out? Yeah. You know, of, of all this debris that's holding all this water and in it, there. It's tough when it's happened over years because you can get some layers mm-hmm. out. But if it's happened over le- years, it's like thick down underneath. Well, but at the very least, get the leaves that have fallen this year mm-hmm. out of that bed. I mean, because if you don't, there again, it's holding all that moisture in there. It's just setting you up for a problem big time especially fungal problems and root rots and those kind of things. Yeah, I'd vacuum them out. I'll get a vacuum cleaner. Well, One of these shop vacs. Yeah, well, shop and, and most blowers will reverse and inhale from the bottom or yeah, from the yeah. bottom side and uh, you can use them as a blower as a uh, but, uh, as a vacuum. But 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 he had never thought about because he's always heard about having ground covers under these trees where really nothing else will grow. Yeah. And that's the why he did it to start with. And never really thought about I got to get I need to get mm-hmm. these leaves out of there. Yeah, and I'm like, you really do right. because I mean, guys, it was to the point where it's almost like a cover of leaves mm-hmm. laying on top of all this ivy, and I'm like, that's man. why you know you shouldn't. And sometime in September, um, that's a train. Yeah, yeah, oh. I know it's louder because there's no leaves. <laughs> not I'm a plane, guessing not a plane coming. Uh, I noticed that too. I'm like, wait. <laughs> um, it, put bird netting down you know over the ivy sometime in september or so and then mm-hmm. every two weeks or so just pull it off get the as many of the leaves out of it as you can and put it back over it. so mm-hmm. working smart uh, smart not hard yeah. is right. the way to go and you can't see it you know yeah. it's it's virtually invisible uh so it it's an easy way to, easier way to keep them off and you definitely won't see it because the leaves are falling on top of it right and then you just send them off Lay it back down because we do that in water gardens too. Mm-hmm. You know, put a netting over like that. You don't really notice the uh, netting at all, and then just roll the leaves off and reapply it. But we don't think that you have to do that because we always think about leaves falling as natural and it's good for the earth and soil and all that. But which, which they are, yeah, which they are. But at the same time, when we're creating our own landscapes, we're altering the way everything works. Naturally, cycle, yeah. yeah. And, and if you walk into the woods where all these leaves have been falling for years and years, there's no ground cover. Right. Mm-mm. Yeah, you know? exactly. There, duh, there's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because all the leaves fall and smother mm-hmm. it out. So yeah, I saw a caption that said, you know, you know that um, if leaves fall on the ground that they turn into soil, they don't break into your house and drink your wine or anything like that. No, no. Because, you know, everybody's just like, leaves, leaves, get them out, get them out, put them on the curb. Let's make everything perfect looking. Well, it's like I was telling you what I did this year. And, you know, instead of raking or blowing my leaves, which is some, I mean, I got some I'm raked up and some I'm blown. But for the most part, I got the mulch more and just ground them up. Mm-hmm. And they're just going right back down into my soil because I know that is going to be really good for my soil. But there again, in these, you know, these ground cover beds, uh, in this case, it was ivy. And the guy also had some Pachysandra. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, he's going to either have to blow them out, vacuum them out like Jim, like Jim's saying, or like both of y'all said, put a netting on there next mm-hmm. year in September every couple of weeks, just get the leaves yeah. off of it to keep it clean. Mm-hmm. I guess thinking of all the ground covers, the ivy and the pachysander would be the two that would be damaged the most with leaves just piling up. Cause you know, like the mondo grasses and all that, it's easy to rake out, blow out. Yeah. And maybe some ajuga, right? Yeah, ajuga works. Um, the mazis reptans, that would... Wonder you you could blow the leaves off that it wouldn't be so difficult but you probably wouldn't want to keep leaves matted over the top of that. Well, you have seen some of these blowers that people are using out there, right? I mean, they're blowing stepping stones down. Oh, the you street. mean the? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. More power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they'll get the leaves out of there. I promise you, the ivy and everything else. So keep that in mind, guys. If you've got ground covers out there, try to keep them as clean as debris free as you can. And I really think it's going to pay dividends down the road because you're, if you're holding too much moisture in there, I promise you that's not going to be a good thing. You're going to just fight fungus for the rest of your life. And you're going to get root rot and all these things. Are, are, they're going to start dying out on you. So try and to get so those what, things cleaned if, up. If that happens, what do, you, what do you recommend for it? On the what bit, Jim? On, on, the, on say, ivy or pachysander if you're beginning to get um, sections burn out. Well, what, what's your product of choice? I mean, you know, I think Mancazel would be good. I think uh, Dacanil would be good. Um, you know, those type of products that are very broad spectrum, honestly. Uh, if I had to pick just one, uh, I mean, I'd probably go with something like Dacanil and spray it heavy uh, to where you're penetrating the soil also, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Uh, why? But go ahead. What would what would be yours, Jim? No, no I was just asking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't um, know if you had one in particular that. No, I mean I like Eagle. The what's the it, mi- micro uh, microbutanol? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's in one of the. Is it one of the fertilizers? F stop. F stop. That's yeah. one. Yeah, uh, and I that like is that. a good systemic fungicide. Yeah. And it's it it's, it covers a wide a wide range of things. And then I still like uh, Garden Foss. From Monterey, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's one of the best for Phytophthora or Pythium. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's not terribly expensive. So, uh, I think that's a real good product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have one one area that we were getting it in at work, and it was just a small area. Caught it early, so it just raked everything out real good. Threw some compost in there, root stimulator because it's a small area. And um, it recovered fine, just but it, the whole thing was I caught it early enough. You know, mm-hmm. if it had to just started taking over the entire bed, I would have had to probably gone to a little bit deeper measures doing things like y'all were talking about. But since we got it early, I was able to remove most of the issue and reheal it. But if uh, but if you see something early, if you can treat it, the sooner the better. Yeah, and in fact, you know, we've seen you know like dead spots in people's lawns before mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of times it's a fungal problem and but instead of being you know all over the lawn it's just kind of isolated in two or three spots a lot of people go out there and they'll just rake those spots up uh, they'll put some good compost down and put a good fertilizer like a you know a, a espoma product down like mm-hmm. biotone uh, instead of using a fungicide now you know I'm the one I'm gonna grab the fungicide I'm the first one to grab mm-hmm. a fungicide if I think I have a fungal problem in my lawn I'm gonna do it wait two weeks come back and do it again and the F-stop, Jim, is one I'm, that I'm mm-hmm. going to use. But a lot of people, they'll heal those areas, kind of like you're talking about, naturally, mm-hmm. you know, with compost and adding mycorrhiza and all that stuff to the soil. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can go either way with it, but I'm all about this real quick fix, yeah. you know? Yeah, I would say even if you had it all over your yard and you use the F-stop and all, which is going to be great, you should still... 
mm. go back, you know, and, and boost up the nutrients of the soil as well. So I do it that way, trying to just that goal, just that goal. I just want to do it, heal it without having to use um, a type of fungicide or whatever. I just want to do it that way. But if it, you know, within a week or so, if it's not stopping, then I'm definitely going to go for the uh, fungicide and apply that. But since I've already applied some other organic material as well, then I've got a double bonus going. Well, but as homeowners, we're always trying to be problem solvers, okay? Mm-hmm. And we're trying to figure out what the problem is. I mean, for example, you know, we're talking about the ground covers a while ago. If we know that the leaves are causing a problem, we try to get the leaves out of there. If we know we have fungal problems out there, okay, I've got a fungus. Yeah, I know what I can do to, you know, to kill the fungi. But why do I have this fungal problem to start with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so yeah. we're trying to figure out, you know, how can I prevent a lot of this stuff? And that's all we're doing really on a daily basis in our landscape is preventing. Mm-hmm. Trying yeah. to anyway. Right, exactly. Boy, there's so much fun we're going to have up coming up this year with all the gardening trends and all the new things that are out. And there's just... You know how it just circles the way around. We'll be doing the same thing that we did 20 years ago and calling it new now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a point there. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, you know, I got a, a solution for getting, uh, making parents make their kids work out in the yard more. Huh? We'll go over it when I get back. 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening, 260-5926. We were talking about how to get kids out in the, the yard to help you do your work. Well, Hold on. Um, it's, yeah, not, it's not work, It's beta. not work. That's right. Because it, it's just like another, you know, you make your kids eat good yeah. to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, studies have shown that, you know, working outside helps increase the microorganisms in your gut, the microbiota. And all of that, you know, a long time ago, I'd read how there's certain microorganisms in the soil that can help you with depression and all, which, you know, it just kind of focuses around to you're outside doing I, something, I which helps right. with uh, depression and all. But it's saying that if kids start younger, earlier working in the uh, gardens, that their uh, gut health will be better and that they actually did tests on um some kid, they did this set of kids. They stayed like in the in the apartments or playing, whatever. Playing they, their game, yeah, games, they, games yeah. inside. They didn't go outside and do anything. On their and phone. then the other kids that played outside, they tested both of them, and the ones that played outside had more microbiota in their system. So then they took... Some mud pies really did help. That's right. <laughs> oh, I know. Yes. I never ate those things, Jim. <laughs> oh, what was that picture I saw with you with that mud pie? Uh, no, ma'am. Uh, but also but think about then, it. Go oh, ahead. they were saying that, but it can all be recovered within as little as 29 days, you know, to get that back healthy up to the ones that play outside. So there you go. You know, you need your kids to eat good, but you also need them to be outside and get some of this natural... Well... You know, as a kid, they had to drag me indoors every day. Right, I same mean, I, here, I wanted yeah. to be out till the sun went down, and, and I had to go inside, you know, to eat and take a shower and do homework, whatever. But I also think during COVID, I mean, people realized that 
they can only stay in their houses for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, I've got to get outside. And that's when the, you know, the gardens that people never had outdoor gardens exploded. People were doing landscaping that they had never done before. We had homeowners cutting grass that had never, had mm-hmm. never pushed a lawnmower in their life. Right. And they were enjoying it. And then the ones that didn't have outside yards were bringing their uh, yards inside, doing all their indoor uh, landscaping and all. I mean, some of the teenage or some of the younger kids' rooms with just the different kinds of lights and designs of the plants and the ivies growing over, and it looks jungle-like, but they're doing it really nice looking. Yeah, well, you read my mind, and not only were people, you know, trying their best to go outside and do these activities because they were so tired of being holed up in the house, well, a lot of them started bringing the outdoors indoors, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's when the, you know, houseplants exploded those two years of COVID mm-hmm. uh, where people were locked in. I mean, they, they, they just had to bring this stuff indoors just to keep their sanity. So I agree with you. Now, Veda, the question is, though, how do you encourage young ones mm-hmm. uh, that that is a good thing to do well, is go out there and help you pull weeds out of yeah. a bed, you know? Start them young because it's going to be really hard in the middle mm-hmm. of their the way they're used to doing things. What what's the age that would be so difficult? You know, we start getting around eight years oh, old. Oh Lord, or twelve or thirteen teenagers. If yeah. you start getting around twelve or thirteen, yeah, it's you're, hard you're to start them that. off like that. Yeah, because if after they finally get outside and start enjoying it, then then you have the desire to do it. And I know there's some people that are just flat out not outside people. And Jim, you know, I've I've called him thousands of times. Come over and help me weed the, the beds, and he's never and done Jim's it. Not no. <laughs> Sorry. He won't let me ride his lawnmower. Oh, see? There you go. The whole well, you're not thing. I think that's when, when I really got interested in, in doing some yard work. Um, you so, know, I had, I had to pull some weeds from time to time. But when we moved, in, when I was in Charlotte, we moved to a little larger house outside uh, in in outside Charlotte, we I need we had to have a riding lawnmower then oh, yeah. it was the yard was just too big to really do with a so he didn't mind lawnmower. getting out there on that lawn no right. you know that, that was too because you know we'd get all the lawnmowers together and have races down the, <laughs> the streets you know it, 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 it was it was really good so it became fun all of a sudden it Jim. Did, yeah God, can you imagine and and I've got a riding lawnmower for my backyard and I have to say Jim the same thing that when I was young, I would get either my son, Kobe, or my daughter, Nicole, and they would sit in my lap. Mm-hmm. And I would drive slowly, of course, <laughs> uh, and we would cut the grass. And they really enjoyed that. It's uh-huh. like being on a tractor, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when we got through cutting the grass, I'd you know raise the lawnmower uh, blade up where they're, they're not spinning anymore. And we'd fly off down the street <laughs> in fifth gear just to see how fast this yeah. thing would go. You know? <laughs> oh, so it made it gosh, fun, I'm I telling know, you. But, you know, it's so... We're, we're talking about one of those things where we look back at all the, how did we make it? You know, no seat belts when we're in the car. We would lay up in the back of the, the, um, behind the seat yeah, when you're going, the, yeah, mm-hmm. lay back there while we're traveling. Oh, yeah, looking up and at the stars. I mean, if, God forbid the if they had to stop it or if they hit a cow or something, know. you know. And now, you know, we're racing on lawnmowers. Yeah. We're, we're carrying mm-hmm. our kids around on the lawnmower while we're mowing. I remember all yeah, that. And like I said, when they were sitting in my lap, I mean, we were in first gear going really oh, slow because, yeah, yeah. you know, I didn't want, you know, I'm, I'm petrified of something. Mm-hmm. God forbid if it was my fault, something happened to the kids. But they really okay. enjoyed that, though. And they enjoyed the after, you know, flying down the street in fifth gear, you know, with 
I know. My dad <laughs> said, you want to come mow the lawn? And my uh, mom's like, you know, she's going to do the dishes. And I'm like, I'm mowing the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go My do first dishes. lawnmower was one of those reels, you know, with no, no motor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just had to push forward, pull back, push forward, pull yeah. back. And uh, that, that was not pleasant. No, but if you, I mean, if you get them now, well, first of all, you get one now, they're expensive as everything. They are. But if you That's get so crazy, but if you, but it's kind of like yeah. you know the throwback lawnmower, mm-hmm. the vintage lawnmower, if you will. But um, you know David that would call in, he used to use a what they call a real mower, and uh, you know if you get one, you know they're the design on the ones nowadays are much better than the ones that Jim used to use. Mm-hmm. Okay, those crude things, <laughs> but also if they're really clean and they're old and they're really sharp blades. I mean, they have a beautiful cut, best mm-hmm. cut ever. You know, you know? Yeah. of course you can get one now that's powered too. Well, that's and yeah. you can ride, which is the best of all the worlds. Wait, yeah. you can get a real mower. That's the one that doesn't uh-huh. run off of gas or electricity. But you can get and them now that are self-propelled. It? No, no, it it's gas powered. Okay. Oh, okay. But it has the real oh. blade instead of the rotary blade. Oh, you know. go I to like the, that. Go to the golf courses, you'll see that's what they're doing. Yeah. Is that a new thing? No. no. That, they've always, no. the golf courses always use the real. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah the green. Gosh, how did I not ever notice that? So, but but hmm. I, I agree with what you're saying, Veda. Getting the kids out at a young age and getting them interested and being outside. I mean, they need to be outside at some point anyway, right? Yeah. You um, know, and there's a lot of research that to, that's recommending that when kids are young, that samples of their microbiota be taken and stored, uh, frozen. So later in life, when they begin to have issues, mm-hmm. they can add that back to the person, and it w- can substantially help your health. Yeah. Isn't really? that incredible? Yes. I, yeah. And they've yeah. also found that some of the microbiota in uh, particularly Africa, uh, the young children there have a much broader based microbiota, mm-hmm. and it's actually better than um, even what, what what you would have in your body normally here. And is, and is that because of the type of soil that we're it's the environment, in and, their environment? Yeah, yeah. You know, part of its food, part of its uh, just what they're breathing. Uh, but yeah, it's the whole living uh, condition they're in. Yeah, it's or we're in or whatever. I know. So think about it when you don't even realize what's happening. Like when you're living in the city and you're just in the city, and you're not realizing that what you're, I mean, what you're breathing and feeling and. And all of that could be more freeing when you get out into nature. Well, you don't miss what you don't have either. Right. So a lot of people but, that are in the city, they never get out of the yeah, city. Yeah, and so you don't know. Exactly. That, like, I was, like I had said, some of the guys that used to work for me that were just city, totally city dwellers, and we would go out in the country, and they, they could experience a true different feeling to where it made them actually want to change direction and, and things they were doing because there's something else out there bigger hmm. than what's happening in the city. Well, at some point, maybe in the next hour, mm-hmm. um, I, I made a few notes about uh, these crazy invasive insects. And I, and I did it just on insects this time because they're, in, they're invasive, you know, fungal problems. They're invasive mammals. They're invasive people. reptiles. People. But there's some... In- Relative. Relative. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jim, come in with Christmas, that fits right I in. Know. <laughs> but some invasive pests um, that we have probably already been battling to some point and some of them that we need to be on the watch out for. So it seems like I'm thinking, I'm sitting scratching my head like, God, we never get a break here in the Mid-South. 
but it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. You and know, it's with, with new pests and new fungal problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we're always constantly going to battle things mm-hmm. like that. That's probably never ever going to change. Definitely, yeah. So we'll but, talk about some of these insects that we don't want around. Right? Yeah, it's not going to change. Looking at some of the older garden manuals from days gone by, and they're <laughs> saying the same language, speaking the same language as we speak. And, and of now. course, it makes me think of crate myrtle bark scale. You know, that's a problem. You know, that we never ever even heard of, mm-hmm. not around here anyway. Yeah. And now it's it's entrenched here in the mid south, and it's probably never going to go away. Probably you know? not. Okay, another break, y'all. Get your coffee, get your tea, get your questions. Y'all can text them to us on Facebook Live. You can call in. Philip can take the question if you don't want to go on air. Uh, you can call us at 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So, um, let's see, where were we at? Well, first of all, if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. And, of course, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a a text there. And if you miss all of this, guys, you can listen live, streaming live all the time, kwamradio.com. And you can post on our website, um, uh, uh, on our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone 678. And as of yesterday, if you don't want to post something, <laughs> you can send me a direct email with at midsouthgardening at gmail.com. Oh. I saw that yesterday. I was like, Jim, are oh, no, you so hold sure? on. You, <laughs> you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm so, some people may not want to show an issue because right. they think they're not as good a gardener as somebody yeah. else. And, and you know, I, I, I really want to make sure that mm-hmm. everybody has an opportunity to get some correct information. Right. That's yeah, pretty that's cool. why I say if you don't want to yeah. be on air... Then just tell your question to Philip because I don't want you to not get the answer because you're right. Yeah. And Jan so. Jan texted Jan Childers. She texted in and said childhood memories of the real talking about the the real mower uh, when the blades were really sharp sharp that zushing sound you hear when it was cutting. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have the pushed, zushing. Yeah, that well, that's like me talking about the hori hori knife. The hori. <laughs> you know, and sounds sounds do that. You know, when you walk into a Walmart and you hear the. Yeah. Of, of the doors. That's your money going to China. Tomati. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I mean. So, I, therefore, go to independent garden centers and get your poinsettias and amaryllis yeah. today. <laughs> and, and gifts for the gardener. You know, we, we've mm-hmm. talked about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, and they're they're great at the independent garden centers. They go to Palladios or Dan West. You can still find beautiful poinsettias. You can still get amaryllis bulbs. Of How course. about the calendars? Y'all still oh, got yes, them? we yes. still got some calendars, calendars from the Memphis yes. area master gardeners. And I was in novel bookstore yesterday. <laughs> they still have some. So, so. and uh, we've been yeah. selling uh, this past week a lot of gift certificates, Veda, mm-hmm. like y'all do. Uh, and then I was telling you the sleds. I mean, it's just it's, yeah. I love it. It's just to me, it just. I get kind of giddy and because I'm thinking, I hope we get to put these things to use. Mm-hmm. So whether you're getting, the, you know, the sleds, the gift certificates, the, the amaryllis, uh, the Memphis Area Master Gardener calendars, Jim, like you're talking about. I mean, all those and gloves and hand tools, they're, they're all great yeah. gifts for the gardener, you know. And then I, I used to always think that when I gave someone a gift certificate, I'm like, this is so impersonal. I'd uh-huh. rather get a gift certificate than anything in this world, to be honest with you, because I don't mind going out and buying my own stuff. Right. 
You know, I haven't decided. I like. Can I just have both? I want everything. Just both. <laughs> I just have this image of me getting on one of those little saucers and it becoming like Christmas vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can go. Remember how it Bingo. sounds to fly past a tree? Oh yeah, growing up on the sled, sledding that was so fun. We went. I lived in um, Italy for a couple of years, and so one year we went to Germany for um, the Christmas, the snow, and all that. And so, because we're at the military, I wasn't in the military, but so all the military people come up and um, we're all going to, you know, just start skiing or sledding or whatever down the slopes. But we do inner tubes, big, fat inner tubes. You get on those. Oh, sure. But apparently that's an American thing because all the Germans were looking at us like definitely. Like these people have lost their minds. What are they doing? They're just watching us in these big tubes. And then finally some of them came over and they tried it. And then we were all having a good time. But apparently you didn't enter tube down the ski slopes in Italy or Germany. (laughs) This was in the 80s. Of course, everything in the 80s was crazy, it seemed to be. But... um, Well, and we've seen people go down slopes on other things like car hoods and cardboard boxes and, you know, inner tubes and sleds. I mean, everything in between. It it can be pretty comical on some of the things that people use to slide from from the top to the bottom. Look, Mom, no hands. And, and of course, when the kids were in college, you know, we were up there uh, one time and they were, honest to God, they were using a (laughs) 300-pound the the hood of a car and they'd get about 30 oh. of them on this thing and fly down this hill i mean in you know at some point we got to figure hey that's that's kind of dangerous well you know? we're gonna have to start wearing our, bi- our uh bicycle helmets mm. going down the heads and these people sledding. were falling off this thing but if they if honestly so if someone had gotten hit by this I thing know. it would have just taken them out but yeah it's fun and i guess that's why there's rules nowadays <laughs> Well, we were experiments coming up <laughs> with all the new stuff. We were just experiment babies. And, and, and I guess, you know, if you're sledding on your yard, you know, with, with snow on the ground, I mean, it's not going to, a lot of people say, well, you know, stay off your yard because it's going to hurt mm-hmm. your yard. Well, no, it's not. Well, that's what you say to keep the kids off so you can enjoy the snow. Yeah, maybe, but it's not going to hurt, I don't want hurt your, your lawn. Prince and my beautiful Just try yard. to remember where that stump is under that snow. Oh, okay. my goodness. <laughs> So true. <laughs> I saw a video of uh, people throwing their babies up in the air and letting them fall in a big pile of snow. And the comments below it were just hilarious. And most people are going, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's Do you what know I do what saying. was under the snow? Da, 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 you know, and I'm thinking, well, if it's your yard, surely you would know where the wood pile was. Well, and, and, and think about it. You know, our lawn, we don't go out there and mulch our lawn in preparation of cold weather. Our lawn, grass roots can tolerate some extremely cold temperatures. The but snow's good for all this, it, it, actually. And it acts as an insulator. I mean, it's actually like a snow blanket on top of your lawn. Now, we do go out there and we try to insulate, you know, the things that are growing in our beds. Uh, because they're just not, a lot of these uh, plants are not as winter hardy as, say, our lawn is. But, but there again, snow is never really a bad thing, unless it's bending something over or breaking something. Mm-hmm. But snow on a be, in a bed or snow on a lawn, uh, it's actually an insulator for cold temperatures, you know? I had read something about why it's so, um, mm. or 
you know, it's quiet when it snows, or when it snows, you go outside and it's real quiet. Well, it's like insulation. It just uh, muffles all the sound. Yeah, it's like there's extra air pockets in the snow that absorbs the sound more. But I love that quietness. Like, you don't really hear it in the city as much, but say, when I was in Waynesboro at Mamaw's house when mm. I was growing up, and it snowed really good, and so I walked up the hill in the in the woods, and you're just standing oh, there, it's, and it's so quiet. quiet, and you can hear the snow falling. To, so quiet that where your ears start to ring. Well, and what I'm about like, this but, is quiet? But what about people when it does snow though? And, and it's, it's you know it's on people's carports and it's uh, on their drive and their and their walkways. And of course, they want to get that stuff off of there to make mm-hmm. it safe for passage. What do we do? Well, because you're worried about the salt burning. Exactly. Them. So you see a lot of people going out there with all kinds of different things and putting it on there to melt the ice. Like the beet juice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I, I sure don't mind anything with nitrates in it, whether it's, you know, people use ammonium nitrate if you can even still get it anymore, urea, anything that has nitrogen in it. Can you get ammonium nitrate? I don't, th- ammonium I don't nitrate? think so. Yeah, you can at co-ops. Okay. But, you, mm. but they track very carefully who's yeah. buying it and how much you're getting. But but a lot of these, uh, these de-icers, if you will, uh, they'll definitely melt the ice and snow, and they don't. A lot of them don't leave a, a residue behind. Uh, they're not going to hurt mm. the concrete uh, or the walkways that you're putting this stuff on. Or the plants around And, and, and Jim, you're, and you read my mind, and, and even bigger than that are the stuff, the plants that you have around these things. But So my point is, guys, when, when it, if we do get ice and snow, and it seems like eventually, invariably, we always do, you want to be a little careful on what you're putting down to melt that ice and snow to keep from harming, like I said, the walkways themselves are the plants around them. Because every year we hear mm-hmm. about people doing something crazy and putting <laughs> something crazy down to melt the snow. Yeah, it did a good job of melting the snow and ice, but it also did a good job of killing everything that was around those walkways. <laughs> you know? That's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> you but know. at the same time, you're out there freezing cold, trying to get it all worked out, and you're going, you know what? I just don't care. I just don't care. She's going to have to die. This is my only option. And, and then we've even heard of people using salt. I mean, just pure salt. You say salt. that like, oh, my gosh. No, you never <laughs> want to use salt. But boy, we do. We did, didn't we? But, but now we know. But like I, say, like I said, a lot of these de-icers now, if you read on there, they have uh, they tell you how to properly use the product. But they also have uh, you know literature on there that tells you that it's fine to use on concrete and porous concrete and around the plants well we'll go with the beet juice we'll be right back we've done one hour or two more to go get your coffee tea and we'll be right back 260-5926 The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome to the second hour of In the Garden with Veda, Kenneth, and Jim. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden in Memphis. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers right here in Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm Jim Crowder with Retired. With retards. Jim, yes, you are. (laughs) But you also have a Facebook page. I am administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, which I started before the program, before we started doing this Mm -hmm. program. Um, 
and uh, it's uh, we got uh, we crossed eight thousand four hundred members. I think this last week. Truly amazing. Yeah, and we and we have about four thousand actives. That's what's really really cool. Well, and, and every time that I get on my phone, and you know, if I ever go to Facebook, the first thing that comes up on my phone is Mid South Gardening, mm-hmm. uh, and scanning through there and seeing all the pictures that people post and all the questions. I mean, it's 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 remarkable, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking to myself, thank the Lord that you have as many followers as you do because everybody kind of, uh, you know, pitches in Mm -hmm. and tries to answer these questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of them I see are, you know, they're correct and some of them aren't, but it seems like the more, if you keep reading the comments, eventually you're going to get to the right answer. Right. You know? Yeah, you'll eventually get to it. So, um, but it's pretty cool. Okay, so we were talking about, or I was talking about, I I have a queen of hearts at work. Queen of Hearts is like a card game, or yeah, card game. <laughs> and so playing cards. Okay, it's a it's a cactus. And a cactus, yeah, doesn't look like seem like a cactus to me. But anyway, so I'm like, hey Jim, you need a cutting of a Queen of Hearts? And it's like yes. And then so I brought him a cutting up here, and then I'm going, what do you do now? We just stick it down in dry soils and let it do its thing. See, it just doesn't seem like that could be possible. Mm-hmm. And that's, right. and that's the night blooming cirrus. It's a type of night blooming cirrus, yeah. yeah. So how big? Okay, so I gave you some um, the pieces like a one inch by mm-hmm. one inch or so. That whole piece, or are you going to cut it? In? No, I'll just root that whole thing and then just stick let it down it, in there. And you'll get usually two or three to come off the base of it, mm-hmm. and then let those grow and and uh, and fell out i think i've been too impatient probably is why i takes a while i've got some i planted back in june that are just beginning to sprout now good lord yeah i've got i think 14 maybe 15 varieties do Um, you spray it to keep it moist or you just water the soil i just water the soil yeah Yeah. because they're really they're really epiphytes they don't need soil i mean they'll grow attached to rocks or trees or anything like that but uh, we typically use soil and they and they do just fine in it and, and, and to me yeah. guys and every time y'all talk about these night blooming series it makes me think about my and i've told this story before about my mother-in-law my wife's mom mm-hmm. she had some in containers uh, on a back patio and you know when i would i was always the one out there cutting the grass for her and I would see these things and think, God, that's the. I mean, why does she have these things? They're, they're not that attractive. You think that at first, yeah. yes. But I'm telling you, we got a phone call one night uh, about 11:30 in the middle of the night and said, "Y'all get down here. This thing is blooming." And I'd never seen one. I've seen pictures, but I've never seen one bloom before. So, of course, we get up and get down there, and it is the prettiest bloom of a plant that you mm-hmm. will ever see. I'm telling Extremely you. Extremely fragrant. They're, uh, just, they're magnificent Jim, flowers. absolutely beautiful. And, and I'm so glad that, that yeah. we did that. I can't imagine why. So if you got there at 8 o'clock in the morning to have coffee, would the bloom be? It depends on how you've got it located. Mine would bloom uh, open very late at night. This one and did the same thing. usually about 10 <clears throat> o'clock in the morning, that's when they'd start to fade. Mm. Uh, and, the, and within an hour or so, they're just wilted and gone. Isn't that crazy? But we'll... We'll have a plant, yeah. and we'll, we'll, we'll nurture this thing. And a plant that actually is not that attractive, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, but we'll do all of that to get that bloom. Right. Well, beauty's in the eye of the owner now. You know. Well, you I, okay. I think they're pretty. No, and, you know, <laughs> the, if you grow them like as a hanging basket and let them trail down, uh, and you can mix Gosh, some things yeah. with them if you want to mm. to give it 
you know one of my favorite plants to, to put in there is is the lipstick plant because it'll mm-hmm. yeah. it, it'll give you color most of the time yeah. and they look good together hanging together but you know it's you said lipstick plant, lipstick plant uh-huh. like yeah. the goldfish plant yeah the lip, right yeah. something like that that just weaves over and gives you some color throughout mm-hmm. the season uh, That's a good idea because they're same water they get qu- most of them get quite large i mean so you can you can have them hanging at six feet and they'll touch the ground well and this one wasn't even in a hanging basket this was in a container that was sitting on a a floor mm-hmm. uh, and i of course i wasn't paying any attention to what she was doing with her house plants or plants back way back then but i but i promise you y'all it was it was such a wonderful experience watching this thing bloom yeah. um that you know, it's pretty amazing, and I guess we do that. I mean, we'll buy plants or get plants that maybe not, they're, again, not the most attractive-looking plant, per se, in my eyes, but we'll still get them knowing that eventually they're going to bloom. Right. And when they do, it's well worth it. It is. Well, you know, <laughs> houseplants is a, a new trend, or it's still a trend, and uh, looks like it's going to be here for a while, but... Also, placement in your house with your house plants can help in ways of, say, for instance, somebody sits in a lounge chair all the time and it gets on your last nerve that they're sitting there and you're in the kitchen trying to cook or do your coffee or whatever and just straight on shot to them just sitting in that recliner. You put a big house plant between you and that recliner, you and that way you mind. see the house plant and you don't see the person. So you're you're so you're getting these big house plants for mental health. Is yeah, what you're that's doing. right. That's right. So where I'm going with this is Christmas coming over, family mm. coming over. You might go out and buy a, a few <laughs> big house plants and strategically place them. <laughs> you know that's uh and, and to me selling house plants. You know who would have ever thought the last three, four years that people would buy houseplants the way they are. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. this generation loves houseplants. And remember, one of the trends for 2023 that we talked about last week or week before last was was adding unique and rare houseplants to their collection. And then it made me think, hold on, now we're calling these things collections. Oh, yeah. You know? That's true. And, and yeah. they're wanting the rare and unique house plants to mm-hmm. add to their collection so instead of getting just a philodendron like we used to do oh no 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 well, I'm getting you've got to get one that's variegated that you can hardly find anywhere and you can't pronounce no, either. I, well that's it's, but it's amazing and i was talking to once again a young lady at the garden center the other day and she came up with these two house plants one of them was like a, a string of dolphins or whatever mm-hmm. it was okay i was ringing it up and I said, now, is this the first two houseplants that you right. have? And she's like, oh, no, uh, yeah. no. This is just a- adding to my collection of uh-huh. houseplants. And she used the word collection. And she made the comment that she said, I really don't want children in life, so these are my babies. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how passionate is that? Boy, I wish I thought of that before <laughs> I had children. <laughs> Jim. Think of how many more houseplants with that money that you could have. <laughs> but but she was very passionate about these houseplants. And, it, and it, she was adding this to her collection. collection and that yeah. made me think about what we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Are people are adding houseplants to their collection, yeah. especially some of these new and rare houseplants that you typically mm-hmm. don't see. Right. Yeah. And, and I know... A lot of people think they don't have enough light in their house. 
there's there's really more light in your house than people are really thinking about because we've got our garden building lit really good and um people will come in and say you know i need something for low light and i I go okay in this room where's your light section you know which which part looks like your light and they'll go well it looks just like right here and i'm going well this isn't low light really they're thinking a lot of people think it means that the sun has to be on the plant in the house most plants don't like that yeah they don't want the sun being on and then just lights in general grow lights are going to be great that's for sure but just a light an extra light will help yeah and like you said and and barbara i know you're you're waiting online and we'll probably get you right after this break but let me say this real quick vader to your point is yeah i mean even an open room Mm -hmm. with lights on is still light yeah now yes an open room with a few windows in there and the blinds are open that is still good light. Mm-hmm, right. It doesn't, when something says good light, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be parked right in front of the window yeah. with no blinds on this thing. Right, exactly. We have what's one section real quick that, okay, the bottom half is the wooden door and then the top half is the windows. So I have this big pothos ivy on a pole that has been sitting there for a while. I noticed that below the window, um, the leaves are smaller. And then as you get, you know, above where the window is, the leaves are bigger. Yeah. So I'm like got to change the environment so I can get some light. No, actually, we put a light to shine up on it to see if I can get those bottom. It's bigger. But, of course, also when things grow taller, they get bigger at yeah. the top and not as big as the bottom. But I'm going with the light, too. But I think you and I need to make a trip over to Jim's house and look yeah. at his collection of houseplants. Yeah. You know, yeah, it sounds collection. like if he's got 15 different varieties of night bloom and cereus, there's no telling what else he has That's over there, right. Beta. All right, y'all, we're going to run to a break, and then we've got Barbara from Olive Branch. We'll find out her question. You're listening to 990 AM News Talk Radio, 107.9 FM. Good morning, and welcome back. Let's go to Barbara, an early bird caller. Good morning, Barbara. You're in the Mid-South Garden. How can we help you today? Mm-hmm. I've got a question, especially for Jim. Yeah. I called y'all about three weeks ago about two amaryllis that sat in the garage all summer and didn't get a lot of water, but it had all the leaves. Mm-hmm. And it was starting to die back. Mm-hmm. And Jim, you told me to cut them back and then repot them. Mm-hmm. And I've done that. But I'm, I'm sure I'm not looking for them to come out and bloom this winter. Or, well, possibly. It depends on how much, when you had them in pots and, and with the foliage, how much light they got, to, or okay. if they got enough light to rebuild the strength to bloom. Um, okay. And I would expect you would see them, if you've just repotted them, probably mid-January. But if you okay. want to put them up on top of the fridge or something where they get some bottom heat, where mm-hmm. heat's coming over the top of the refrigerator, we'll speed them up some. But do watch them to make sure that you keep them moist. Okay. Uh, but well, I've they, got them sitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got them sitting where? Oh, I've got them sitting on the countertop, but I can move them to the top of the refrigerator with two other ones. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Might so, get crowded for <laughs> Well, that kind of acts like as a heating mat mm-hmm. up there, Barbara. And like uh-huh. Jim was saying, that'll kind of speed up that process a little bit. But if they went through that resting stage, which it sounds like they did, and like Jim said, if they it, while they had foliage, 
if they were collecting, you know, sunlight for photosynthesis and, and building those carbohydrates back up in the bulb, you still could get a bloom in January. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to try for it. All right. Well, good luck to you and keep us posted, all right? I will. Thank, Thank you, Barbara. Thanks, Thanks Barbara. for the call. Thanks, Barbara. Oh, you know what, Amaryllis? I have La Paz. La Paz. It's. That has a, does that have a picketty edge? Yeah, and a thin, thin um, blooms, thin okay. foliage. Blooms. Okay, yeah. Mm, excuse me. How do, it looks like spider lily almost. Okay, and this amaryllis. Yeah. yeah, I'll show you a picture on the break. Y'all look it up, La Paz. It's really cool. It's Victorian looking to me, dainty. Um, but I got those in with our Christmas bulbs. I just had to have one. Yeah. I was hoping to keep them later to not bloom until like january because they're kind of a peachy color well and the reason we're talking so cool looking yeah and the reason we're talking about amaryllis is because this is the time of year that people are forcing amaryllis Mm -hmm. to bloom typically in their homes and and they're so easy guys if you've never done one you just basically get the bulb put it in a pot with some lightweight potting soil keep it warm and keep it moist and they've got enough energy in that bulb to do whatever they need to Mm -hmm. do They'll send up this stalk with these big, beautiful blooms on them. But like Barbara was saying, you know, after they bloom, a lot of people would just cut the stalk off of the amaryllis. You still will have sometimes a lot of foliage on there. Mm -hmm. So you just keep these amaryllis bulbs in the house for now and just treat them as a house plant. In the spring, you can take them outside and either leave them in the container, in the pot, or you can plant them in a bed if you want to. But uh, you can dig them up or leave them in containers and, uh, you know, have them bloom year after year. And then people are even buying, of course, now these waxed amaryllis. Yeah. Where you have the amaryllis that's encased in wax, right? Well, the beauty of that the first year anyway is you don't have to pot these up at all. You just set them on the table. And they have enough moisture in that bulb to bloom and do everything they need to do without them ever being in soil. But then people always ask me, can they get these waxed amaryllis to re-bloom? And I said, well, yeah, if you want to take the time to take all the wax off of it. Mm-hmm. you know, Yeah, which is pretty easy. It's kind of fun. I like peeling the <laughs> wax off. I feel like the bulb goes, oh, thank you. I don't know thank if you. kind of fun would be my answer. but <laughs> It is. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, because really you don't have to plant the amaryllis bulb to get the bloom for Christmas. It's you just have to have something to hold the bulb up. Like, mm-hmm. we've got it in soil, but we're just keeping the soil slightly moist. Just you to can keep put them it. in rocks. You yeah. Know? yeah. I've grown uh-huh. them where you have, it's just a real heavy glass container, and set the bulb right on the top mm-hmm. and keep water up just so to the, that it just touches the roots, mm-hmm. and they'll grow yeah. just fine there. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's so fun to mm-hmm. do it that way. And if they, amaryllis, I think, have really shown me how much plants want to grow like some of them that were blooming in the box or not blooming but trying to come up in the box just from from the moisture in the air and they're still in a box right right. and so you open it up and they're white and bent over well some of them had tried to grow so much that there was a bud on the end but it had bent over and so one side was cracked so it would never stand upright so i just went ahead and cut those off and put them in water and they're full bloom now yeah but normally if you had have taken out of a box and seen something like that and you weren't familiar you would have thrown it away but i cut that off 
put it in water. It's blooming, and there was still more coming on. So they were going to throw them away. I'm like, no way. Watch, y'all, watch this. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. the beauty of the amaryllis and the paper white narcissus is they you don't have to pre-chill those to get those to bloom indoors. Where a lot of times people will buy hyacinths and tulips and other daffodils, even other narcissus, and they still want these bulbs to bloom indoors. Well, if that's the case, you typically have to take those bulbs and put them in the fridge for about two months Mm -hmm. because they really need to go through that chilling process, you know, to bloom indoors. Now, if you want to plant them outside like narcissus, different daffodils, tulips, the winter is usually the chill part of it. So that's why they bloom so well in the spring. and But actually, that's why they bloom better if we have a decent winter. Right. Because True. they're getting that proper mm-hmm. chill. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then speaking of houseplants in the winter, we may want to overwater them because it's cool in the house. And, and you know, we're thinking they still need the same amount of water that they need in the summertime. But things you can do. So we had this um, alocasia or alocasia black velvet yeah black velvet i mean almost like an elephant ear in a pot indoors right right right. and so one of the girls that works in the other building that we don't really keep house plants in she wanted to have that one by the register because she liked that house right and there's some you know spotted around and all and of course i'm going okay you know leslie make sure you yeah yeah and she and she takes care of house plants and all but that's just not your thing at work because she does sales fountain statuary furniture and all that stuff so I'm I'm const- I'm looking at the plant and I'm thinking it's doing good it's doing good doing good and then I'm this is over a couple of months and notice I'm going, how they just keeping an eye uh, on this plant Jim and so I'm like okay here's another experimental plant and so I'm watching it going wow it's still doing good I can't believe it and I'm looking at the soil I'm looking how it's leaning I'm thinking I don't know it's it's going to have to have an issue soon it's just going to have to issue and so finally after months and I thought okay I can see it's starting to maybe have something let me just check it all out. Well, the soil was really wet, yeah. really wet. And I thought, you know, this has been going on for a minute. <laughs> I think there's going to be some issues. So I actually took it out of the because, I mean, sometimes you can take a plant out of the pot and it can dry out just sitting out of the pot. Mm. And then you can stick it back in there and be fine. Well, this wasn't going to be the case. So I took all the dirt off. And got clipped all the uh, brown rotted roots off, mm-hmm. but there was enough white roots. So I took all the dirt off and then Just repotted, repotted it, it mm-hmm. and good, you know, spread the roots out, set it down in the container, used a good quality uh, potting soil. Mm-hmm. Like I think I might have used a fox farm this time, mm-hmm. either that or the earth mix. And it doesn't even look like that, that, that anything, anything happened, and except for the fact that it, looks like it's parking up more. So you're saying, I mean, typically, you know, we always have a tendency to overwater, it seems like, even then to underwater. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I guess we still have to water our houseplants just as often uh, in the winter months uh, because we still have the heat on in the in the house. So, right. I mean, you can't not, not water. And then right? actually the reason why I took all the soil, <laughs> can't not not water, the, <laughs> Jim called that. The reason why I took all the soil off of this plant was because after this amount of time, the soil was not, was getting worse instead of better as well. And so it would have taken a long time to dry out and then the soil wouldn't have been good. 
So th- this is why I chose this time to wash all the soil off. But sometimes if it's too wet, you can just let it dry and you're fine. Yeah, and typically people get on a regiment where they're watering like once every seven days, once every 10 days. And the plants, I mean, they, they respond to that. Uh, and, you know, good drainage on, on these house plants. I mean, you, you can't overwater. Overwater is just as bad as no water whatsoever. And then a lot of people think, okay, their plants start to look a little peaked during the winter months. Well, I'm going to force these things to grow. I'm going <laughs> to get the fertilizer and just mm-hmm. juice them up. And that's not really a good thing to do this time of year either. You right. know, just leave them alone. Give them the decent light that they want. Keep them moist. We say this all the time, not wet. Uh, and they'll be fine. Now, you can really go in there in the spring, clean them up. You can take them outside if you want. And you can really start feeding and promoting growth then. Mm-hmm. But this is not the time of year to do that. Of course. Unless you're Jim and he's right. you know, trying to force well, feed them all the time. I know, right? Well, we did. Uh, I put about a month ago earthworm castings and root stimulator and all my plants bumped up the watering a little bit now i have new growth it looks gorgeous but now i'm gonna slow down yeah we'll be right back after these messages Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening, and we are definitely gardening today. We've been talking about houseplants. We spent a lot of time on houseplants, but there's so much more that we can be doing, because even if it's going to be cold outside, we can still work outside. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, this is one of the, when it's cold, one mm-hmm. of the best times that I like to sit down and look at my seed catalog. Which one do you have? Uh, this one came this week, Jung Seeds and Plants. I haven't heard that J U N G. I have not ever heard of that. Yeah, the, and I've ordered from them. They have some mm-hmm. have some really unusual things, um, and then some common stuff too. But they're a good source on on vegetable seed, particularly. And that's uh, a Jung Jung Seeds and Plants, and it is a family owned and operated since uh, for 116 years. Wow! So they've been around a while. <clears throat> But yeah, I, I like to get these, and and uh, and of course some of them now have stopped producing um, paper catalogs, and mm-hmm. you have to go onto their website. So that's like such that, a mixed feeling. I sit there, you know, I have a I have an office in one corner of my room where I have <laughs> my my desk computer and my laptops to my right, and then I can have my um, tablet and and also my phone going so I can look at four different screens here yeah. comparing Lord. prices and looking at different cultivars and stuff and uh, it's just it's really cool but you said 116 years 116 I mean that is a years. long time I'm, I'm over here can you say I keep getting closer to Jim I'm like what's that picture well, of here, right you there can, you can oh, look thank at the catalog you. There. I can't stand it I gotta see you know the new seeds are just now starting to arrive at the garden centers and it's it's truly amazing when especially during winter or right after winter, and the seeds are up on the wall, you know, and mm-hmm. people walk in there, and I've said this every year, you could, and they stop, and they're looking at these seed packets, and they're just daydreaming. Well, in your, your particular store, it's a little overwhelming because you have so many. We have a yes. seed wall. You do. We'll have you seeds do. on. Number, I don't know how many companies you got there. But, but, it, but. <laughs> it, 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 but you can just see them. I mean, they're already plucking that tomato. and I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing because that's what we're doing. I mean, we're buying the seeds to germinate, to plant, to get a harvest at the end of the season. 
but it, it, it's just and you're not that far away you know when you look at uh, if you're going to grow tomatoes and and put them in the garden around april 15th or so you need to be putting them starting them around february 15th yeah. or so yeah so uh, we're only you know six weeks or so away and if you're doing doing cold crops you know cabbages and things like that uh i mean you want to start those really now and, uh, and and think about it, Jim. You know, you're even looking at this one seed catalog that they're just looking at now. Huh? What? There are so what? many. <laughs> yeah, there are so many different varieties of almost everything out oh, there. Oh yeah, and and that's what t- can be a little mind-boggling and a little confusing to some people. You mentioned tomatoes, for example. Well, you know how many different varieties. Mm. There are tomatoes out there that we haven't heard of, mm. varieties, whether it's hybrids or heirlooms. And, and some people were like, it's just overwhelming. What? I only need one. Oh, this you know, is just giving me huge spring fever looking at this catalog. I, I love to look at the catalogs. But it, it, it's, you know, I guess to me, I look at it the other way. I think it's great to have a huge selection of whether it's peppers and whether it's tomatoes or whether it's squash or whether it's eggplant. You know, I don't mind having so many different varieties to choose from, you know. Now, if I'm sitting here trying to figure out, you know, what is the absolute best variety in all of those categories, mm-hmm. I don't know if there is one because it all depends on who you ask, especially there again going back to tomatoes. I've got a friend that lives over in, in Arkansas, and he's grown every tomato known to man. Honestly, he has at one time. And then he's got it settled down to two or three. Mm-hmm. I mean, he loves the Parks Whopper. He grows a lot of that. Um, he does some of the Arkansas Traveler. And then, of course, he does some of the old-fashioned Better Boy. But he'll also dabble in some of these, you know, the carbon tomato. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. some of these older heirloom varieties. But it's funny. You ask 10 different people what's their favorite tomato. They're going to give you 10 different answers. You know, and if you're talking about heirlooms, one of the best companies is Baker Creek. Baker Uh, Creek. They do nothing but heirlooms. Uh, They don't do hybrids. And they have some of the most unusual uh, vegetables and flowers that you will ever see. Uh, They're just, it's amazing. And and, and I tell you what's amazing, Jim. A hundred varieties of sunflower. Yeah. But to me, you almost have to be like a, a purist. If you want to start everything from seed, which I think is an unbelievable thing to do, first of all. But I'm always looking for the shortcut, you know, and, and I guess I'm a cop out. I, well, I'm, I'm not, actually, because a lot of people don't mind buying plants. See, but mm-hmm. I want to skip that whole seed planting part and just go buy the plants right. later on and stick them in the ground well, and that's the right thing to do for some people because if you only need two better boys yeah you know yeah you, right you go buy better. two better boy plants and stick them in the ground in the spring and, and call it a day yeah so like i'm looking at the seed catalog and i'm going oh blue velvet blueberries and they're elongated that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Well, any blueberries. It looks delicious, but they're elongated. They're and they're long. high bush, too, aren't they? Let's mm. see. It's a blue velvet, high-yielding selection, berries, pollinating partner is Boreal. But, Jim, didn't you say Maybe that— Maybe you know, a rabbit eye, then. 
but one you said that you know forever in a day we were growing the rabbit eye varieties around mm-hmm. here, typically mm-hmm. speaking, yeah. which are I believe low bush, right? No, they're high, they're they're neither. They are rabbit eyes. Okay, but but we were staying away from the high bush though. We were because those are typically northern varieties, right? But, but then you're now saying, we have a right. southern high bush, yeah. and uh, particularly at the University of Georgia, they're doing a lot of work with southern high bush. Um, that they are, they are self-pollinating, self-pollinating yeah. but the first thing they'll tell you is they do better with a second plant. You'll get better production. But isn't it amazing how Veda's going through the mm-hmm. seed catalog, and the first thing she comments on are the blueberries. Right, yeah. yeah. Because everybody because it's loves blueberries. A, the only reason that I even notice it is because it's a diff- It's not round like a berry. Mm-hmm. It's long. And so I'm going, okay, does this grow? I mean, this is the thing we have with seed catalogs that a lot of people come in and ask for things, but they don't grow in our zone. But there's... This probably does. I'm sure it's zone three through eight. So we're a seven B. Yeah. So it'll grow here. It's a blueberry. Um, why would it not do well here? There's so many to choose from. How do I know which well, one to pick? Heat, that was my heat point stress, while we go, Veda. Yeah. Here, heat stress and drainage are two very critical issues that you have to um, you have to face whenever you're. Growing something where we're right at the border of its hardiness, um, whether it's you know hardy from the south up to zone seven or from the north down to zone seven, mm-hmm. we are in that no man's zone right there mm-hmm. where um, no plant zone. It's extra stress on the plant because it's mm-hmm. not draining well. It's in heavy soil, uh, and so that's the reason so many plants fail here. That in that catalog will tell you. Technically, they're hardy, mm-hmm. but not if you just slap them in the ground. They're yeah. not going to do well here. Yeah. Now, but but were you thinking about blueberries in particular? With blueberries, blueberries, most of those do okay. Um, yeah, because I'm going to say they do well around yeah, here. Yeah, the high bush, I would, most of the high bush, I would protect from the hottest afternoon sun. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, rabbit eyes, put them out in full sun, they're just happy as they can be. Well, and, they're, and they're typically heavier producers. They get bigger than high bush, so it's, I mean, it's kind of a misnomer. Um, yeah, it know. is confusing. You think it's because the high bush because they get tall. Yeah, they don't. They're, well, they're, short, they're shorter <laughs> than rabbit eyes. All right, so, so there, and we all know there's so, so, so many different seed companies out there, okay? And a lot of times it's repetitious on what you see from mm-hmm. one catalog to another. Mm-hmm. But there are some unique things that you'll find in every catalog that you have um and I, I would dare say that regardless of the brand that you're buying uh the the germination percentage should be about the same on all of them oh yeah you know the, the, and all and, of the rules for for seed are very strict and it varies some from state to state how much you can sell um what your germination percentage has should to be, be or has to be yeah. right and if it falls below that then you can't sell it well but the reason I brought this up, Jim, a lot of people, they'll get into their mind that, hey, I want nothing but fairy moor seed mm-hmm. because yeah. I've always had great success with fairy moor seed, which is great, you know, in mm-hmm. our botanical interest. I've always had mm-hmm. really good success with botanical interest seed. So in their mind, they're thinking those are the two best seeds companies on the market because they're getting good germination. But you're saying they all should have those same standards, yeah. and they do. And mm-hmm. they do, and, and chances are really good that – if it's particularly a, a fairly specialized plant, they all came from one or two growers, right. and they're in different packages. These seed companies don't grow 
most of their stuff. There are some that do. Uh, Baker Creek grows a lot of its because it's uh, all heirloom stuff, and you know they use and they're very, collecting the seed from their own growing, right? And they're very small quantities that they grow because it's not high demand for and, them. And I know we got to go to a break. Let me say this real quick, also. For people that have seed that are left over, a lot of people think that they don't get any germination from seed this year that they had last year. Now, I would say this, yes, you're going to lose some germination every year that you don't sow that seed, correct? But you're not going to lose, it's not going to be zero germination, right? Right, right, exactly. Well, real quick, uh, Playful Meadow Mama Echinacea. (gasps) I'm going to have to buy the seeds for that. (laughs) We'll be right back after these messages. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. That'll get you going. <laughs> Philip, what happened? Did you just stop the music? You just stopped it. <laughs> He's giving me the look like because stop it. he knows you'll get up and start dancing yep. and everything. He's else, giving so. me the look. We were talking about winterizing things and um, two things that, like one, your fountains. You've got um, water garden fountains. They definitely you need to turn the water off, drain all the water out. All right, hang on before you go another say another word. Mm-hmm. How come sometimes? Some of these big fountains that we see that the, even the city owns, mm-hmm. they don't have to be huge, but they're bigger fountains than we would typically have as, as bigger than a bird bath. Yeah. They, they, they're keeping these things running even through the winter because mm-hmm. you'll see these big ice sculptures that they right. create, you know, in the middle of the winter. So Some of the really big ones. Really big you ones. You can get away with because the fact that there's enough water to where all the water doesn't freeze. Uh-huh. But okay. some people do that. And then, the, say, the wind's blowing and the water's freezing and it all freezes on one side. And then the entire fountain tips over. over. Okay. All right. So go ahead. I'm sorry, so, Beta. So, so you're saying. Yeah. So you, you do what you winterizing is what you do. You take all the water out, drain the water. Um, you want to get all the water out of the pump and the hoses and all. And then we, you take a, we have a tarps that are made to cover fountains that just go over it and then you have to cinch it real tight at the bottom Mm -hmm. somebody made their own tarp pulled it around the whole fountain but didn't cinch it tight Mm -hmm. so when it rained the rain collected on the tarp which fell into the bowl and then it froze and then it fell over wow or if you've got little small water features that you don't have to worry about them falling over but they'll freeze really fast and then that is what can break your pump or break the concrete fountain itself what if you had a fountain like a three or four tiered fountain mm-hmm. or three tier two tier whatever yeah. and you just didn't you unplugged the pump mm-hmm. i mean would it be okay to have water in there then or is it because yeah. you don't want that water freezing expanding yeah. and potentially uh, potentially cracking right. the concrete just like a concrete pot could yeah. do because we're wanting to try to keep the bowl dry so water can't get down into the concrete as well freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw and bust out so it's like 
you can almost get away with not winterizing bigger bigger fountains and people leaving it, try and leaving that. It running, but, but the thing is, is it gets weighted down with the ice and topples over. Someone had a, a very old, beautiful fountain and just didn't do it that year. And we got a call and it had just all fallen over. And then, but especially we've been getting more for the past couple of years because mm. it's been really, really cold. Or where it's an old concrete fountain that just this this one last freeze was too much and it just started crumpling chunks started ca- coming off for the longevity of a fountain it's good to just winterize it. Oh, okay. Now what do you do for the water gardens? Well, ideally, you know, is if your water's eighteen inches deep or so, it's not likely to freeze all the way down. Uh, but you need to keep surface open so that there's gaseous exchange otherwise your fish can drown if they're if it's prolonged <laughs> that frozen sounds so weird it does sound weird when it? you say that so uh, i use aerators that just mm-hmm. constant a lot of time earlier on i would just use uh, one of the smallest little water pumps and just set it on a brick just below the surface so it would churn and keep mm-hmm. the surface open uh, you can add heat to them uh, with, if it's not very large, with like an aquarium uh, submersible heater. You can use. And this is typically anything that you have fish in, right? right? And yeah. This is this is small. And then if you you've got a big water garden, you can buy stock tank heaters that have guards on them, so that they if they bump up against the liner, it won't hurt them. Uh, and and they're thermostat controlled so they come on when the water temperature gets to about 34 degrees so they're not running all of the time uh, and that'll keep the surface open but you said at least 18 inches deep though typically you're pretty safe and not have to worry about that thing freezing deep enough to where it's going to kill so, all the fish that are in kill there the fish but again you still want to try to keep some surface area yeah. open Good yeah Lord. some people have like made sure that they had some plants in their water tank where um, they would be able to g- break it up easier to allow some the gases to release from the pond. And also, just think, you know how loud it is when you, like, take uh, crush ice, you know, or, or th- bang ice or something like that, how loud it is? Some people will start busting the ice out of their pond to break it up. But doesn't that percussion hurt the the fish? Oh, yeah, you can, you can kill your fish with yeah. doing that. So y'all don't yeah, <laughs> bust their eardrums. Well, yeah, don't. <laughs> and you're talking about, you know, winterizing the fountains while ago. And that just reminds me of even like winterizing your irrigation system. Mm. You know, and that, you know, typically water is key, right? Well, during the winter, that's what we're trying to get rid of in yeah. a lot of these things. And the fountains and the irrigation systems, we're trying to get rid of the water. Uh, and blowing the hoses out, you know, to make them water-free because we all know that what can happen to water when it gets below freezing. And you're talking about the same thing when it comes to these fountains, Veda. Right. Now, what about just a typical bird bath? Well, that was going to go into bird baths and container gardens, too. Well, like bird baths, you just need to flip them over. Don't let them fill up with water. Or put a bird bath heater. Yeah, in. say, but you know, then then you're taking the water from your birds. So bird if you bath flip them over, right? Great. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say because a lot of people like to keep water sources out there, especially during freezing temperatures, for the birds. Uh, and like you're saying, Jim, just get an old fashioned just bird bath heater, mm-hmm. set that thing in there, and I don't care how cold it gets, you're still going to have nice water. Mm-hmm. Uh, now. 
you, you know, I guess if you had a little heater in there, you, you're not going to have the fluctuations of temperature yeah. so, so much. maybe you wouldn't have the cracking maybe and Maybe not right. But, you know, yeah. I've got a concrete bird feeder in my back bed. And, uh, of course, I've never really done anything to it. I mean, I never mm-hmm. go flip it over or, you know, store it in the wintertime. If it rains, it fills with water. I'm sure it's yeah. frozen many times. And it's still perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I've also heard people tell me that they've had bird bass. You know, the first time they got a cold spell, it froze and it cracked in half. Uh-huh. Don't know what's the difference between the two, you a know? A lot of it has to do with the shape of the bowl. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the depth, yeah. yeah. That's true, yeah, or the depth. Bowl-shaped uh, maybe. things will typically expand as much upward. And but if you've got straight sides on the bowl, uh-huh. then it'll push against that more so. One of the best things you can do is, if, in particularly in small things like that, is just find you an old stick about an inch uh, in thickness and just lay it in there so that it's underwater mm-hmm. and sticking out. When the ice expands, it pushes against the stick versus against the outside. <laughs> now, you're yeah. talking about a trick of the trade, <laughs> right. um, and that usually will help. <laughs> protect your bowl oh my I know there's goodness. so many things i think probably for me i would go ahead and flip the bird bath over winterize it and then i would just set out pans of water for the birds yeah but that's pretty cool what jim just said yeah and then containers if uh you've got pot feed under your containers yeah. that way the water can for sure be drained all the way out because if it's sitting on the ground and the water's not seeping out thoroughly then all that can freeze too and that expanding and and thawing can bust your container or even be bad for your plants so raise them up we have really decorative pot feet but you can use bricks mm-hmm. rocks mm-hmm. two by fours anything to get the the pot up off the ground that would help i like using pot feet regardless i mean if mm-hmm. you've got especially if you've got a slick concrete or a slick surface that the pots are setting on I promise you, and I've said this many times, I've seen concrete pots sitting on a patio, a, mm-hmm. a brick patio or, or concrete patio, and water just collects. Yeah. It, it holds water like a pan. It did. It sealed it. So if you had it on pot feet, it would just That have, water would run right out there. Exactly. Baby. All right, y'all. We'll be right back. We had two hours, and we've got another to go. Looking forward to it. You're listening to Veda, Kenneth, and Jim on KWAM 990. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening with Veda and Kenneth and Jim. And... We are having so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. And if you want to give know, us a call this morning, just say it. So five nine two six. Yep, and you can always go to the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page and shoot us a text right there, or you can go back anytime you want and listen to the podcast, KWinRadio.com. And I would like to say that this morning is the last morning we'll be here this year. So that's what I was going to say. Last live show. Yeah, uh, last. Uh, the 24th and the 31st are holidays. 
for us and all the radio staff here. But we did want to come in. We did. We no, did. No, we we did. wanted to be with y'all on the holidays and all. But, you know, it's how it goes. And I got to say, right. it's going to be you really know, I, cool. I hate for Philip, our producer, to have to get up and come in here on, on yeah. Christ- Christmas Eve. I so. asked him, yeah. didn't I, I think I asked Philip last weekend, are you going to be here? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. It looks like I don't want any part of that. Right, no. Christmas <laughs> Eve or New Year's <laughs> Eve, count me out. So right? you can still reach us through the Facebook yeah. group and uh, and uh, enjoy our best of shows for the next two weeks oh we we'll can have back. fun doing that the facebook group on saturday morning that's right and we could do that garden trends we're still in garden trends you know um it's like these are the ones for t- 2023 and i think well, like one of them of course is garden we're gardening with ecological functions no i know <laughs> well you know we're learning but it's like there's this little space of of a generation that never really realized that we don't need to be so sterile Mm -hmm. in our in our gardening and all and i mean it's what we're doing all the time and it's a trend all the time incorporating natives and pollinator plants i mean you don't do that in your front yard kenneth but you do it in your backyard no but i have seen front yards that people do do that where Mm -hmm. it's not really a front yard yeah it is a front cottage garden right look, and they have nothing but perennials and natives and it so it's it's, it's to me it's a different look because that's not surely what i'm used right. to seeing but i'm not saying it's a bad thing to do and then also the other thing <laughs> is too is the industry has so much more to offer i mean i remember the amount of plants i sold uh 25 years ago of varieties versus what's available now too oh, yeah so we're able to uh, cultivate more things and let me say this also people that have a lot of wild flowers uh in, like in a front yard for mm-hmm. example i've heard instances where and it looks not bad especially when these things are in bloom but you'll have a neighbor two doors down that is calling <laughs> someone to yeah. come out from the city to take a look at that yard yes. because it doesn't look like a normal yard yeah. okay yeah, yeah, in Bartlett, if it exceeds, uh, I think it's 14 <coughs> inches, uh, then it's a nuisance. That's my point, Jim. The plant, right. mm-hmm. if it's yeah, like I a mean, wildflower plant, 14? Well, that's you know, where you get into this uh, discussion of what is a wildflower uh-huh. to one person is a weed to yeah. someone else. Right. Or it's also the way it's planted or put together, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can look like a weed, that's for sure. But it's amazing how you can drive down the street. If someone's front yard is nice mm-hmm. and manicured, which that's the way I like it, of course. Uh, you know, with all those shrubs, you know, perfectly trimmed. I mean, I'm just crazy, and I like mm-hmm. that look. But the backyard could be, you know, you could have weeds, quote, wildflowers back there that are three <laughs> foot tall and no one would ever say a word. It's just yeah. when that comes to the front yard that they people, don't see when that it's a too. problem, right? Right. We're also kind of learning to change what we want to see, too, because um, the more educated you get on things, the, the, a lot of times your perception changes. And let me say this real quick also, Veda, is, and I'm I, right now, I'm not going to say where it is, there is a front yard. That has the stainless steel, like, looks big horse water troughs yeah. in the front yard. Yeah. And they grow vegetables uh-huh. in there, in the front yard. Now, they do keep it nice and clean and manicured. Uh-huh. Okay, and these things have been out here now for about three, maybe four years. So the neighbors, and this is a nice, nice, nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They're clearly letting them do it. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, what's the difference between having these stainless steel planters if mm-hmm. in for a better word in your front yard 
raised beds than having just natural wildflowers. Sounds like the design. (laughs) It could be. You know, it's the way it's designed and put together. Jim, could they do that in Bartlett? Could they have those things out there in the front yard in in Bartlett? It would depend mostly on homeowner associations. I guess so. Yeah. I don't think that in... When I was on, uh, I, I tried to read the rules all when I was on the the uh, city commission. Uh, yeah, the Bartlett City Beautiful Commission, and um, it's. I think I don't remember anything that would uh, prevent you from doing that, or yeah, prohibit. Yeah, if they if they had water in them, that that could because you can't have anything that a child might fall into. Huh without a fence around yeah. it or something. Well, like I'm that. sure this had great drainage because they were growing and still mm-hmm. are growing vegetables, y'all, out of these things. And it just, you know, I don't mind that look because, there again, they keep everything nice and clean and manicured and trimmed and edged. But, I mean, clearly it's not mm-hmm. something you normally see in right. a front yard. And, and I'm seeing that starting to happen a little more. You know, with the creativity, you can still make it look good but that's where the sun is mm-hmm. you know you want to grow your food that's where the sun is so a lot of times it's in the design of of how the the thing looks overall um and then we're back on the leave the leaves you know it encourages this is the the movement leave the leaves well i think a lot of people would have left the leaves if companies didn't say you had to remove the leaves mm-hmm. you know and but again it's all the look but we're just teaching that it's okay to leave your leaves. And that's why I told you I was going to make it a, a, a point not to blow or rake leaves in my yard, but to grind them up, mm-hmm. to mulch those leaves. Yeah. Because we all know that it goes back down to the soil, and it is really good for your soil. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, can you get the leaves up? Of course you can. Normally, that's what people are doing. Yeah. Or you, they have companies come in, Veda, that tell them, right. and that's what they do for them. But I'm telling you, I don't mind getting the mulch more out and grinding those leaves up. You can't see them when you do it. No. Well, see, like I remember when I first started, well, I would hire younger kids to do the land course, <laughs> young, younger kids, like out of high school or, <laughs> or college age to work on my crew and one of the guys which is my nephew actually said um aunt veda why are we blowing the leaves out to put down mulch aren't leaves mulch yeah i don't and mind this was using like years mulch. ago years ago and i said well yeah your point's valid there too you know and, and now we're kind of like in that transitioning of explaining to the clients we can leave the leaves just because everybody mulches you don't have to and then next spring you know we can clean up and then uh, put mulch down but he was like why are we blowing all the leaves yeah. out you know we've already got the mulch why are we cutting crepe myrtles back just because we see our neighbors doing yeah it? yeah and then the way they put things sometimes re- reducing dependence on fossil fuels well actually it's more like we're for me i just wanted the more quiet you know, I like the the using the battery powered blowers and things like that because it's not so intensely loud. Like you said, we don't need one that can take a brick down the street yeah. in our little home. A stepping stone, a, a blower that can blow a stepping stone down the street. Right. And, and yeah, we're seeing more and more of the battery operated tools being used outdoors because only, in my opinion, is because they are getting really good of of what they do. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not, I'm not going to use a battery-powered anything, drill or anything right. else, if it's not, <laughs> not going to do the job. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's doing the job that I want it to do, I don't mind which way I go. In right. fact, I don't really mind going battery. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's just now, in my opinion, on a lot of these blowers and these other things, even lawnmowers to some extent, Beta, Jim, were to where the battery-operated versions are just as good as the gasoline yeah. versions. I use a battery-powered lawnmower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. And and you have no regrets whatsoever. Nope. Yep. Now, if you had a very large yard, you'd need a couple of batteries. Uh, Understand? You know, mine will do about an hour, uh, and I can usually mow my lawn in that much time. Yeah, and and to me, you know, it was almost alien to think initially early on when they were coming out with these battery-operated lawnmowers. I'm like, I'm not going to ever get a battery Powered lawnmower. And how is a battery going to make this drill work? Yeah, and, but they—I'm telling you—they they do a good job. It absolutely, does. I, lo- I love it. I love it. And <laughs> with a fun, you know, a lot of people don't even want to have smell that smell of the machinery working. But for me, when it's really weird. But like since growing up, I worked outside with Dad on the on the as a mechanic or in the yard, or cutting trees, or whatever. So all those smells are like nice memories, Mm -hmm. you know? But somebody, I mean, if you start not smelling the gasoline and all that. At an early age, you're not missing anything. I'm not missing anything. Okay, don't even say it, Jim. Just don't. But no, Jim said he's he's using a battery-operated lawnmower. Yes, I have a Ryobi battery-operated. See, I like them. Uh, And it does it does an excellent job. And I I have a. a, Well, in fact, I have pretty much everything Ryobi makes, and that can be run with a battery, whether I need it or not. I thought you were going to tell me it's because (laughs) that's what's wrong with me. I've been sniffing, smelling gasoline all way too long, huh? We ruled out limbs falling on your head last week, right? (laughs) Now it's the sniff. Of the gas. Okay, quick break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. So let's see. I'm going to create an outdoor oasis to reduce the stress in my life. I'll take a green. Yeah, break. that was part of that was on my gardening trend Did for 2023. Also, yes. yeah. Take a greenery break, create yeah, it's called quiet a ticket time. to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you go. Have you been to Hawaii? I have Several not. Several times. Mm-hmm. I think I might have to try that. Yeah, I've one. seen pictures. Yeah, go to Jan- go in January so mm-hmm. you can watch whales because it's tropical there all the time. Right. It's, yeah, it's warm point. in January. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But go in January where you can watch whales. Yeah. Mm, or I just might end up in went Florida the with time, the manatees. We went on our 10th anniversary, went to Four Islands, spent two weeks over there. And, and it's absolutely beautiful. Kauai is just spectacular. Mm-hmm. But Maui was our favorite. Mm-hmm. And we went back um, about 2000 or so and went to uh, just to watch whales. Mm, uh, nice. Went in January <clears throat> and then just stayed on Maui there. And it was, it was really, really nice. And... Yeah, Charles Lindbergh said the most beautiful place in the world, and he should know he traveled around most of it, was Hana, which is on, on Maui. And the road to Hana is a two-lane road. I don't, I don't know. It's 20-something miles long, maybe, that weaves straight up. in and out of the cove. You're in a couple hundred feet off of the water. 
you know, and there's waterfalls in every mm-hmm. bend that you come Man. to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get to the seven pools there and, and the black sand beaches. And it's just, it really, mm. really is the most spectacular place in the world. And there's wow. a bamboo forest there that is, so you walk through it to get to a waterfall. <laughs> and the bamboo is n- knocking against each mm-hmm. other, and it is deafening really and it's wow. so thick i mean you could not walk through it if they didn't have a path uh-huh. it's funny my my daughter was over wow. there this a uh, couple times this past summer mm-hmm. uh in uh, hawaii maui for example jim and i uh, she was walking through the bamboo thicket to this you know this tall uh-huh. tall waterfall mm-hmm. and i was sitting there watching they did it you know she kind of videoed it on her phone mm-hmm. walking through the same thing you're talking about jim the bamboo thicket and then coming out into this, you know, thousand tall waterfall, whatever it was. I'm thinking, wow, man, that's pretty cool that's there. Intense. You know, that is intense. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So, well-being had, at work, your nature spot, and welcome to your happy place. Those are all your what plants can do for you. Well, when I was in Dallas a couple months ago at a wedding, okay, uh, there's a building there uh, that I just happened to be walking past. And, you know, and, of course, there's concrete and asphalt everywhere you look. They're right in the middle of the city. But what they had done around this whole building, Veda, was create and they Jim, was to create two things. They had moving water around this whole building and, and different waterfalls, and it looked mm-hmm. beautiful, just the water, the moving water. But they also had plantings around this whole building, which I actually took like half of a city block. So like you're saying, being happy at your workplace, Mm -hmm. they created an environment is what they did in this concrete and asphalt just area to where it, as I was walking by, I was thinking, and of course the whole sides were nothing but glass. You're thinking, man, that would be a cool place to to work work. just because of what they had done around the building. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it made a big difference with me just walking past it. Right. It's, I'm glad people are figuring this out to get us our green spaces built into into our cities and all. And then, of course, even drive, I mean, fly over any city, whether it's New York or Dallas there again or whatever, and you'll see a lot of this green roofing still going on. Mm-hmm. You'll see perfectly green oasis, Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. 40 stories up. So mm-hmm. they they are trying to create these these vignettes as mr paul would say of greenery for employees if you will first time i met greg tuliatis he was about 12 years old and was mowing the roof of plato's house (laughs) (laughs) just there again jim that's two things you said this morning that just doesn't sound right one you talked about fish drowning okay Uh Uh, now mowing your roof mowing your roof there are so many places to book plants that you can't even think of yeah i mean and then because you you can just grow them. I mean, the vertical gardening. There, there now. There's components made that can go on the wall. I mean, I see. Whew, you mean other than be, drilling the pallet on the wall, right? On the or, fence. or buying the thing that you hang on the back of your closet that you put your shoes exactly. in. Exactly. So people are buying them and hanging them on a wall outside and putting soil in and put their plants in it. But think about what the back of that looks like between the wall <laughs> and the 
the dirt, you know. So, I mean, I think it's a great idea and all, but now things are being made to where you can still grow, but you're not going to have all the seepage and the soil just up there against your wall. They're they're components that are placed together and, and all that. And it seems sterile at first. But then when you get all the plants in there, because I mean, how it's hard to water indoors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, it is kind of hard to water indoors. So we need to have the proper indoor equipment. Well, Jan texted in and said, any tips on getting humidity to the potted plants that are overwearing in the house? Uh, yeah. so I've been looking at a lot of uh, house plant sites or and one of them was everybody was listing which humidifier works the best and so people were actually i guess you've got is there you like frank has something on his phone that you can read the humidity in the rooms well right let me yeah, say well, this you can see like this room has 20 percent humidity and this one has 50 percent humidity and um so some humidifiers can take it up five percent. Some can take it up to you know. I've seen one where their their meter read thirty percent humidity, and then they started using a humidifier in a small room. It wasn't for the whole house, and they were able to get it up to like fifty percent humidity, which is a lot. And, which and I know, I know, like in my house, when I boil water on the stove, mm-hmm. I know the humidity is high because my hair starts falling. Oh sure, and I get warmer. Well, so. but you know, so many people have house plants that again are plants indoors. And that's why a lot of these plants suffer during the winter months because of the low humidity that we have in a particular room or in our house. Typically speaking, you don't want a lot of humidity in your home, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've always heard, Jim and Veda, people getting these saucers, putting the rock in there, adding the water, setting the pot on the rock with the water under the rock, and that creates humidity. We've heard of people misting their plants every other day. But then if you really start reading about it, they're saying... I mean, that stuff, it doesn't hurt anything, but you're not creating enough humidity to even make a difference. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, maybe, am I or am I not? No, you're not. Jim says no. I still agree that even though there's the science and all that behind it. I mean, when you group 15 plants together, the humidity around those plants is slightly higher just -hmm. from their transpiration. But adding water to a saucer, any air movement in the house takes that right away from them. Okay, so, I mean, it doesn't blow it to the plants. Yeah. It just sucks it right out. So, uh, and, and misting is not a substitute for humidity. It's a substitute for rainfall. Yeah. And usually it will cause you long-term more grief than good. Yeah, and that, but that's when, when Betty, you mentioned humidifiers. Mm-hmm. You know, every article that I read, uh, they were saying that truly is the best way to increase the humidity right. around these house plants. Mm-hmm. Now, most plants are going to be just fine. Even if it's low humidity, you can mm-hmm. still get them through the winter, yeah. and they're going to rebound <laughs> in the spring. But I'm telling you, there are a few house plants out there that really need that humidity. Right, and, yeah. And people, yeah. and you know, the number of people that are growing house plants now in their homes, uh, they are going to probably get a humidifier to put it in there to increase those humidity levels around these house plants. I'm not going to do it, okay? Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people are going to do it. Right. So, Jan, uh, as Which far causes as your windows to fog up on the inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That's better. Well, it's like when I start shocking, you know, like you just start getting that shock because everything's so dry and like you touch something, oh, it shocks you. Oh, the static would just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So then when I turn on the humidifiers, 
the heat gets it gets warmer in the house because of the humidity. A lot of times you breathe a little and better. And I breathe better, and I don't shock. So if that affects me, why was why does it not affect plants? Well, the humidifier does. But I hear it doesn't. Well, because well, you, if, if you're raising humidity in the room, it will help those plants that n- prefer higher humidity. Yeah, but especially I, if you have it by because it's putting out right. a lot of moisture. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I think the best way to increase the humidity is with the humidifier, no doubt yeah. about it. Because all of these other angles we were talking about, you know, the misting and and the pebbles and the water, even though it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt anything for just the most part, yeah. the it's just not going to be. I know. I think about that over. But I don't know, like if it's really hot and you're outside and then you're by something that's kind of holding water, swampy, you can feel the humidity being that close. Well, if it's enough water, you know. <laughs> How much are we going to have in the house, right? Right. <laughs> and plus, we're talking about small One little, little saucers. saucer right. with a little gravel so, in there. So, Jan, <laughs> I think the best thing to do, if truly, if, uh, if you really want to increase the humidity, is to uh, invest in a, whether it's a Humidity, small or yeah. large humidifier, and that's going to be the best, ba- best way right. to get that's it in That's like there. how you get this false information I was reading about. Somebody was like, how are your orchids so great? Oh, I put them in a, a pan with gravel and all. And then you start reading more and more, and then they talk about their humidifier. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it was because of the humidifier, uh, not because of the gravel. Yeah, not a time. Yeah. Okay, y'all, we'll be right back after these messages. To get a last question in of this year, call 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back. So we were talking at the break about different ways to say things. And like I've been corrected so many times that now I go, um, yes, that's a peony, peony. Yes, that's a um, peony or peony. Right. right. And most people, I think the proper way to say it really is pennies. Penny. Okay. So then there's peony. A, right. So I, what, I don't even remember. Peonia. See, okay, so There's you're going to say bonsai. You're going to bon, say bonsai. You say bonsai. I say bonsai. Jim says bonsai. Right. <laughs> I don't even understand so that. So now I'm going to have to go, oh, yeah, that's a bonsai, bonsai, bonsai. Is it clematis or is it clematis? <laughs> right, yeah. So I. So there's so many little ways to say things, but Jim brought the bonsai tools. Yeah, I mean. Cause the tools, I've, get your tools I've out. I've seen Jim... Uh, years ago, take a uh, just a, say a juniper in a th- one or three gallon. This size is a good pipe. Facebook watch, y'all, and and transform this juniper into a a bonsai, a bonsai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, it just fascinated me how he'd go in there and, and cut some of these limbs out and get this. Uh, Jim, was it copper? tubing that you would get it, it and it you was would copper coated aluminum wire okay yeah. that he would wrap these limbs with to contort mm-hmm. these limbs and then, you know, eventually, if you leave it on there long enough, they mm-hmm. stay that way. But and they're kind of decorative, so it doesn't look so obtrusive, those But wires. I did know well, that would be... you know, there's a science to putting the wire on. The wires are not supposed to cross. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, you know, sometimes you have to use two wires to, to make something bend. Well, see, now we're, we're getting complicated already. Right, right. You right. know? <laughs> and look at the tools. Okay, so this one has a concave. Yeah, this is it. a concave cutter. This is the most important Japanese tool that I use. Uh, so that when you cut a limb off, you can cut into the trunk, which allows the 
collar of cells right around the um, Let me see that, Jim. the where you cut to heal back over, and you'll leave almost no scar. So, so you've got so and these are real heavy duty for real for m- real. You know, all steel everything. Y'all got to get on Facebook Live and look at these tools. I mean, it's like a for a bonsai. It's like a mechanic's tool mm-hmm. chest. And um, they're all miniature cute tools, but like a broom, you even have a sweet little broom. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of fluff. Is that a fluff? Yeah, and just gives you another uh, yeah. little something, something. <laughs> right. But 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 when people think of bonsais, when I think of, I mean, I know there's indoor varieties and outdoor mm-hmm. varieties, and and me and my wife Gina, we've only had at one point one indoor variety. And then I think we killed it in about three weeks' time, okay? <laughs> so, and it was this little orchard of trees, and it had a rock and moss and everything. So, we just kind of left it alone, mm-hmm. and it almost kind of petrified on its own. Yeah, yeah. And it looked okay, I mean, even well, though it was all dead. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this was years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was the only try I ever had at, at bonsais. But, Jim, and what do people, especially with outdoor bonsais, I mean, these are the ones that grow outdoors. They're in mm-hmm. these very shallow dishes. I mean, and they say outdoor. Do you leave them outside? Yes. Most of them are quite hardy. And most of them, you know, your deciduous plants or your, your evergreens are, are quite hardy. Uh, we just heal them in. All right, um, so you still protect that root system, though. Right. So get it down the ground, put some mulch on top of mm-hmm. it, and let them be there through the winter, and then bring them out. You know, now I used to grow a lot of setsuke azaleas, uh, some of which were n- just not as hardy as, like, gumpo and some of those. Yeah. Uh, and I would put those in the ground and cover them with leaves so that you could not see the plant. Uh, and just leave them through the winter and pull them off next spring, and they're bright green, and they just look beautiful. Yeah, because they would just freeze. I mean, it would like kill it in a heartbeat. Because yeah. yeah. their roots are in those small pans. That's what I keep saying. They're yeah. in those Very small, shallow, shallow pods. Yeah. So, like, some of these tools you use to clip roots. Some of these, are, yeah, to... some of these, like this, are used to cut roots. Uh, and this is for trimming. Um this is for really fine trimming right here. And have you used most of those wow, tools in there, Jim? That. Yeah, I have. Now, I don't, things like conifers, Ooh, junipers, so I, don't, cute. I don't use tools on those. <laughs> I pluck those by hand um, because whenever you cut anything that's green, it's going to brown right there. Yeah. And it will give it a brown cast. But if you get in there and just pluck the tip out, uh-huh. then you don't have that happening. Oh, I like that. I asked John John Nucker one time. I said, "How you know? How often do you should I?" I was, it was working on a Hollywood universe. I said, "How often should I uh, pluck the tips on this?" He said, "Get up every morning and pull about two hundred. No, Lord, uh-huh. two hundred. All right, so there's a good bit of maintenance involved in creating your own bonsai. Particularly size. when you're starting one and you're working on it to become something. Yes, really spectacular. All right, what about the indoor varieties, Jim? I'm I mean, you still. Up the I mean, there's still pruning involved, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, you still want to keep them small. You know, doing the pruning helps dwarf the leaves down to make sure that they still look like they should. 
Uh, you know, and there's some plants we grow as bonsai that to me just are not suitable for bonsai. Mm -hmm. We grow a lot of ginkgos, you know, but they don't, their leaf doesn't dwarf down very well. So you got a six inch tree with a three inch leaf on it. (laughs) That's a good point. I like the Dawn Redwood forest look. Those cypress and and Dawn Redwoods and even azaleas work quite Mm -hmm. well because the leaves are small. Um, and, uh, and you can manipulate the limbs any way that you want to you know and i think i've told a story here one time i was working with an azalea i bought from brussels martin uh brussels bonsai and um, there was this and they're still down there yeah oh yeah yeah big down there there was one limb that you know i had moved it to the back once mm-hmm. and i'd moved it to the side once and and i said i just he said what's the trouble i said i just don't know what to do with this limb and he reached down, grabbed my concave cutters, and just cut it off. Oh, man. Yeah. I know. Just, you know my heart was just flipping over there. Only he's been, he could he's do been that, grabbing right. this limb for a year, trying to get it in a right spot. But and only he, just he could do that, right? Yeah. And he, only and he. he said, if it's a problem, cut it off. Then it's not a problem anymore. Uh, and that's not that was a valuable lesson in my life, too. You know, mm. if you've got an issue... Fix it, yeah. and then get on with life. Right. So you know, I learned a lot of very wise things from Mister Naka. Well, are there any other than protecting the outdoor bonsais in the wintertime, uh, because the roots could freeze in that little shallow dish if you right. don't insulate it, uh, and water, water, water is the big key because. Yeah, normally when you put them outside, typically the weather takes care of them and you don't have to do anything else. Okay, during the growing season I'm talking about. Well, yeah, well, outside, yeah, when when you've got them up on a table or something for display, they're watered pretty much every day. Okay, that that was my point. Yeah, so because, and we use a very coarse mix, so it drains very quickly. Right. Um, And uh, it's... You know, it's it's a little maintenance, but mm-hmm. not not a whole lot. But it can really be fun. Oh, it is, especially if you don't have a whole outdoor garden space, and everybody will buy them for Christmas presents and all. And we think that you just bring them indoors and leave them indoors, and they'll be fine because you see them in the shows and the movies. But they're all outdoor plants, basically. And what would you do with the, say, a, what's the most popular one that you see in stores, like the juniper? Well, junipers, yeah. and then we see a lot of uh, sarissa, which is, yeah. a, which is a tropical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, which, yeah. But, you know, the junipers are easy to work with. They're, they're tough plants. And people bring them in and think they're going to be okay, and they're not suitable for inside. They, mm-hmm. one, need as much sun as they can get and two they need to go through a dormant period Mm -hmm. i mean that's part of their natural process yeah so um, yeah so you you do have to have the environment for it and like this tool right here that one what in that's this is for bending really heavy stuff you know when you're looking at something that's as big around as my thumb, mm-hmm. uh, it, it sometimes that's very difficult to get it to bend. So we have these jacks that we can actually bend it and then move the jack as it says and bend it a little bit more. Uh, over to, time? Over you, time, okay, yeah. yeah. Sometimes these will stay in place for a year before we mm-hmm. can loosen it and move it to another location uh, to bend it When further. I first saw when he unzipped this thing and showed me all those mm-hmm. tools, I'm thinking, first of all, it was some kind of medieval dentist. I know, it does <laughs> you know? look medieval dentist, but it's yeah. so cool. These are wire cutters here. and Then this know. is like to dig stuff. Where's that digger? This, yeah, is, dig- this is a digger. This is a probe, yeah. you got a little rake for the surface. 
mean, mm-hmm. look at all this. You've got a whole tool chest for indoor, for just a little micro. Mm-hmm. And of course, he can use those on regular houseplants also. But when yeah. he got this, I mean, he, of course, he had the bonsais. I mean, that's really why he bought mm-hmm. these specialized tools. But you can use them on other houseplants also. Yeah. What's the one that we can have indoors, like a house plant? You said this. Which one? No, Sarissa we see a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. They're now using a lot of the, um, uh, uh, what is it, the money plant, which I think, again, looks not like yeah, a bonsai. Yeah, so I've really? seen Chevalier's in them before. I mean, I've yeah. seen a lot of just so you need house to, plants. If you're going to get a bonsai, it needs to be an indoor house plant bonsai. Or outdoor. Yeah, one of the best ones I like yeah. is, is a succulent. kind of looks like a jade plant called Portrait Lucaria. It makes a spectacular bonsai. Uh, and can that. grow in you know in just good light. Yeah, uh, it's really really pretty and produces a large trunk fairly quickly. So it it's proportioned right. Mm-hmm. The whole point of bonsai is for you to look at it and think you know that reminds me of something in my childhood, a yeah. tree somewhere that that mm-hmm. we had a swing on or something like that. So. Well, and and I'll let it go before we go to a break. But also, I mean, if you actually start digging into it and looking at some of these pictures, mm-hmm. I mean, some of these plants that are that are truly, I mean, done by these Maculate. professionals, uh-huh. I mean, they're they're hundreds of years old. Yeah. And they're still growing in this little container. You know, what? so it's because it's, they used all these tools all the time. They, to they, they do. And What's they, the most expensive one you've seen? Uh, bonsai. Yeah. Uh, here in the U.S., probably quarter million dollars. Yeah. That's the one you've I seen want. that a quarter yeah. million dollar one. I haven't yeah. seen one. Oh my now, gosh! The one Brussel Martin has a chamocypress that came off of PNS Garden Center's lot that I was working at. That looks kind of like a juniper. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and it's probably the probably the most photographed bonsai in the world. Wow. Really? I mean, it's yeah, it's it's absolutely spectacular. So what we're saying is, don't be afraid of them. I mean, they are some of them are easy to grow, uh, more so than some of the other varieties. There are indoor varieties and outdoor varieties, but they are they're pretty neat. I'm telling they you. Yeah. Okay, break, and we'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. So Jim's put up his. Uh, bonsai tools that like we were talking about on break it really looks like a torture tool set like you know in the old movies and you walk in and you're like okay they're gonna pull my fingernails out my teeth out yeah so jim i don't mind if you take those back home with you (laughs) um and some you know i mean you know we're always dealing with new threats whether it's insects weeds uh reptiles mammals whatever where these are a few of the insects yeah people (laughs) That we need to keep an uh, uh, eye on. These are some new insect threats to Tennessee. One is the emerald ash borer. And we've always, you know, heard about it and talked about mm-hmm. it. But I was reading about it the other night, Veda Jim. And this emerald ash borer, of course, it's affecting the ash trees. That's where it gets its name from. But even in Nashville, it's somewhere as close as Nashville, they're going in there. They're chopping down hundreds and hundreds of these beautiful ash trees that are growing in the parks because the, 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 the park and recreational committees up there mm-hmm. have deemed that, hey, we can't have these ash trees that have been infected mm-hmm. with these emerald ash borers in the parks any longer because if a limb falls down and hurts somebody, you know, yeah. it's on them. So they're cutting hundreds and of these trees plus down. Plus, when, when plants start dying, that just causes more insects because they're trying to make them go away. And, and this was actually posted on October the 12th of 2022 of this year, mm-hmm. okay? But if you have an ash tree, and the symptom is the top of the tree will start to lose its leaves. I mean, that's where it actually starts is at the top of the tree. 
and to me, that would be like, okay, well, there's just something going on. It could be weather. It could be mm-hmm. drought. It could be anything. But if you've got any ash trees and you ever see the top of the tree start to lose its leaves and kind of work in year two, you know, it works its way down. By year three, the thing's dead. Mm-hmm. You know, so it happens pretty quick. But the emerald ash borer, but then I was thinking, do we really have a lot of ash trees around here? Yes. You know? I mean, but see, I was thinking, so what? I mean, I don't see a lot of ash trees. And I like ash trees. (laughs) So, Jim, it could, if it came this far to the the west, and eventually we get what they get, uh, it could be a problem. So that's one of them is the emerald ash borer. Uh, what about the box tree moth? This is a uh, a, a box and boxwoods. You've talked about this, Jim, before. Some boxwoods are shipped to a distribution center here in Memphis, Tennessee, from Ontario, Canada, between uh, 2020 and 2021. And they say they may have been infected, may have been infected with the box tree moth, Theta. Well, why would they say they may right. be, have been infected they if they at least didn't yet. find one? Well, you know? they, they did find some. Uh, this particular nursery shipped them to a number of distribution centers for this grocery store chain, um, and they were found in some. Yeah, It so was I'll, my I'll understanding that they did not find any when they they checked the stores here because they had gotten into the distribution center and already sent out to the stores right. before the issue right. came up. So um, And then they went out and put right. traps up, and they said, uh, fortunately, they have not found any in any of these traps. Yeah. But something, something that easy could happen, though, that with this box tree moth, which affects boxwoods. You know how many boxwoods we have around here? And just think, this was just one shipment from... Mm-hmm. Canada mm-hmm. to wow. Memphis, and it was they found them on some of these samples. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm thinking, good Lord, that's all we need is the box tree moth around here. And then I mentioned this last week, and was the old kudzu bug. Yeah. Now, and what <laughs> interests me on this was, okay, here is a bug that loves kudzu, and I'm thinking, finally, kudzu <laughs> yeah. might be getting eaten up by a bug, right? right? Well. The kudzu bug, yes, they love kudzu, but unfortunately they like soybeans and a lot of other legumes that are out there, okay? So it's not a great thing to have. And then as far as being a pest, you know how sometimes during the winter, guys, we'll have a colony of ladybugs in the house? Mm -hmm. Well, it's more of a nuisance than it is anything. Well, the kudzu bug, and I'm telling you, if you ever look at the pictures, and if they ever try to invade and get in your house— you're going to have a million getting in there. Ew. I mean, it, I saw this picture where there were millions on the roof of this house, okay? Wow. And they'll find ways to get inside. And there again, it's just more of a nuisance in your home than it is on the outside. That's when you get those dust busters and start. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're actually made, some made for insects. Oh, a vacuum cleaner just suck them That's up. That's the word. Bug, but, insect, vacuum sucker uppers. But, you know, uh, you know, but get online and look at what a kudzu bug looks like. Look at what the emerald ash borer mm-hmm. looks like. In fact, uh, look what, what the box tree moth looks like. And then I if mean, you see them, shouldn't you report them to the agri-center? Absolutely. And then, I'm going to say these really quick. These are, it says, beware of these invasive insects that are coming to Tennessee. Well, hopefully that's not the case, but they were pretty confident that these things, because we're being surrounded, the surrounding states, they already have them. And this is a false codling moth. 
that really affects citrus. I hate being falsely yeah. coddled. Yeah, well, there you go, Amanda. <laughs> so you're fixing to... Uh, then the leek moth that affects leeks, onions, and alliums. I'm thinking, who cares? Yeah. You know, we don't have a lot of leek, onion, and allium around here, but maybe we do. And then, the, uh, of course, the oak ambrosia beetle. Now, I love that salad. But it <laughs> this affects oak trees. Well, you know how many oak trees mm-hmm. are around here? Mm-hmm. I mean, if we ever get a, if this thing ever gets a foothold around here, I mean, yeah. we're toast. And then uh, can, lastly was the, you know, the, the pear leaf blister moth and then the pine shoot beetle. My point is, where does it stop? It will not. It does. And Jim, and, and some of these things, if they get a foothold there again, I mean, it can be a big-time problem for us. So, I'm listening to you talk, and I'm thinking how hard it is to translate English to other people because you said, um, if this bug gets a foothold in the tree, we're toast. Yeah. Imagine translating that, and they're visualizing going, what did he just say? But, I mean, we could spend, you know, hours <laughs> on hours talking about these different bugs. But I'm telling you. Go, and you, you didn't know, mention the spotter and lantern fly. Well, I know. I, that's the beautiful one. They're making earrings to look like them. They're actually, so Actually, Jim, I do have it written down, and I didn't mention it. What uh, is the update on that? Um, any? or we're, I haven't seen anything just recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's out of control already. Uh-huh. You know, so it'll get here. And then uh, the one I'm really concerned about is the Asian longhorn beetle. Yeah, that's another one I'd written down. Yeah, that's uh, in, I think in South Carolina. That one can do substantial damage to trees. And I guess my point is, uh, you know, it's good for, I want people to get online and really, you don't have to so mm-hmm. much read about them, but at least look at the yeah. pictures of these invasive species well, that are either here or on their way here. This is one of the things that falls into not planting monoculture. You know, because we plant the same of one thing, and then one thing comes through and wipes it out. So when you're planting in your yard, that's why we want diversity. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think last year I had to spray one time. Um, The uh, Japanese beetles were just really Mm -hmm. tearing up my Sarai Lauder's walking stick, so I sprayed that that a little bit. Uh, but I didn't have to spray anything else. And uh, I, have, I just have a very diverse garden. And, and of course, I, Jim Nine is not as diverse as yours or Veda's. I mean, I've got a few things out there. But talking about the, the Japanese beetles, the only time that I would have had to have sprayed would have been for Japanese beetles on the crepe mm-hmm. myrtle blooms. And they eat, remember, every yeah, bloom still off blows of my crepe Well, y'all, I guess we got to go. But listen to the best of us for the next. We will be back next year. Yes, next year. And listen to our podcast. Go to the Facebook. um, Mid-South Gardening. And we'll see you next year in the garden.